Hey guys, we are um, breaking in before the regularly scheduled pod <laughs> to tell you, yes. we talk about some pretty heavy stuff during this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, all of us do. Um, yes. So if you're triggered by anything ever, <laughs> just know that we may talk about it in this We're episode. We're going to talk about yeah, domestic sorry. assault. We're going to talk about emotional and physical abuse. And we're going to talk about um, substance abuse also. Yeah. And Fozzie Bears. <laughs> yeah, rogue Fozzie Bears wandering. Yeah. Yes. But so, I think you'll enjoy the episode. But we wanted to let you know. Yeah, we wanted to give you a heads up before we... You know, just spring it on you. Yeah. (laughs) So we will now return you to probably me yelling about Audible. (laughs) This episode brought to you by Audible. 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 AudibleTrial.com slash horror version for 30 days free and a book to get you started for your book recommendation, The Shining. We're clearly going (laughs) to call it from us. We're clearly going to do The Shining, the book by Stephen King. It's really good. The Audible version is great, too. I believe you. So, guys, check out. The Shining by Stephen King on Audible. It's probably there. It, it definitely is. Yeah, it's right. good. And if you're a new listener, things are about to get real weird for a bit. Join our Patreon <laughs> to be involved. If not, skip ahead for some music. Yeah, we're not crazy. This episode also brought to you by Nick, Nick B. B. Hey, Nick B. So Nick B posted his Halloween costume. Yes. And it's cover yourself in cheese. It's just slices of American <laughs> cheese on people's body, which is weird because... Nick B is not American, so stay oh. away from our cheese. <laughs> yeah, stay away from our cheese. <laughs> yeah, Nick. I mean, really, the cheese costume is just, I'm going to show up naked to your party exactly. covered in cheese. There's a Swiss cheese pervert from what? somewhere in America, and his thing, like his fetish is to lure women to look at him, and then he's got a piece of Swiss cheese over his dick, and he masturbates in front of them. Wait, wait, wait. Is That's this real? That's for real. I told you never to tell anyone this. <laughs> oh, sure. Sorry. Alleged. Allegedly, 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 Carl. This episode also brought to you by John. Okay, let me tell you the truth about John. This episode is brought to you by John, but so is great pain and suffering into the world. Oh, okay. John We're going there. That too. From Jump Street. Okay. Yeah. All right. You've ever heard of the Biltmore Hotel? Yeah. Asheville, it, North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. It's my good my mom was in Asheville. Yeah, yeah. It's like one of the richest a, estates in the world, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You could pay your currency and stay at that hotel. It's very <laughs> nice. John and this episode brought to you by Michael. His henchman. Yes. Yeah. But Michael makes his money. He's a slumlord. What? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Like Danny DeVito in that 90s movie? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. So people were living in squalor, people that rented from Michael. And Uh John reached out to him and said, hey, go collect some bed bugs. What? Yeah. Literal bed bugs? Yeah. Wow. So Michael collects the the bed bugs. Did he let them bite? Yeah, he had to. John told him to. So like he they were in the suitcase, but at night they would feed on him and go back into the suitcase. <laughs> Getting even more powerful yes, by the exactly. day. Exactly. John and Michael check into the Billmore Hotel. And then he's like, <laughs> Did you bring my bed bugs? And then they release the bed bugs. Uh-oh. <laughs> what? Into the Biltmore? Into the Biltmore. Why? Uh-oh. Shook it all around. All right. You know who this sounds like a job for? Yeah. This episode brought to you by Matthew. 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 You know what he does though what does he do he parasails in from he the sky. it spins a little bit <laughs> i don't know if you guys he has, has the he has the spin it to get the flight what are we mm. talking about right now his umbrella oh okay i thought you were talking about like a helicopter so yeah he, okay you know he's got a psychic sense of when john does bad things because they both have the shining Uh-oh. oh wow yeah, yeah yeah yeah. okay <laughs> matthew gets the shine and he's like oh fuck bed bugs <laughs> 
So he right. parasails in. To the umbrella. <laughs> yes, exactly. He's like, woo. But he does make Cody Roy. Cody his Roy hitman. drives. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he, so basically, Cody Roy, all intents and purposes of the podcast, he's Hopper from Stranger Things. Oh, you mean the hero of Stranger Things besides Eleven? Yeah, exactly. But yeah. he gets shit on by uh, everyone. Yeah. So he drives a Ford Bronco <laughs> with the sheriff's stuff, and then he mm-hmm. drives to the Biltmore, and he's like, you know, I'm too old for this shit, you know. <laughs> is he also Bruce Willis? That is Wait, Danny no. Glover. Not, oh, yeah, please. <laughs> not even is that the wrong character. That is the wrong everything. <laughs> kind of the same character. <laughs> so Matthew, he tells the hotel people, I know what happened. This is a terrorist attack. A terrorist attack? It's is actually it's- a bioterrorism attack. Wow. Mm. Okay. <laughs> there was an elderly woman staying in one of the rooms. Anyway, the bed bugs killed her. That escalated real quick. Took a turn. Yeah. <laughs> Why do anyway, Matthew has his umbrella. He makes the other elderly hold hands and they hold on to Matthew's hand and they like all, barrel of monkeys? Like, he barrel of monkeys like them out. Now close your eyes, Todd. Okay, they're closed. It's barrel of monkeys, but at the top there's a Mary Poppins Matthew and then holding hands all the way down is a bunch of elderly and they fly off to Florida. What's Cody Roy doing? He has a flamethrower and he has to go to room by room and burn all the beds and he gets bed bugs on them. It's a lot of shit work. I mean, yeah, I mean, Cody Roy does pretty much all of the hero work. Yeah. Matthew gets all of the credit. And he gets the cool umbrella, yeah. although flamethrowers are pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. And he dropped two of the elderly on the way to Florida. Well, Matthew I mean, did? Yeah. There are going to be some losses. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't his fault. It was like they didn't believe enough. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I was. They tried say, to do the Tinkerbell clap and then they just <laughs> fell off. I was going to say grip strength, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, if you go to the Biltmore, there's a plaque for Matthew and Cody Roy. And nice. it says thanks. It just don't fact check that. No, but yeah, there definitely. No, is. if you do, just go there, take a picture of, it and send it into our podcast. Didn't didn't Cody <laughs> yeah. Roy have to burn it all down though? No, just the beds, Jen. Oh, Matthew and Cody Roy, we salute you. And John and Michael, lock it up, guys. <laughs> what are we? What are we doing with bed bugs? What, what's even happening right now? It's their war on the elderly. Well, guys, check back next week to see how the war on the elderly goes with John and Michael. So this episode's also brought to you by Rebecca. Rebecca. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, Rebecca. Oh, my God. Why are you yelling at her? That was unusually aggressive. (laughs) Rebecca, if I had a garden, I'd put your tulips and my tulips together. Oh, that sweet. And wasn't as gross as I thought I it was going to be. Yeah. You said the <laughs> name of a flower and I got really scared yeah. for a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guys, check out Rebecca's Etsy store at Straight On Tell Disney <laughs> <Yeah>. on Etsy. <laughs> this episode also brought to you by Carl. Carl. Hey, Carl. How you doing, Carl? How hey. are those woods treating you? Hi, Carl. So, uh, guys, Carl <laughs> streams on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Carlos M-O-L. Carl also is in the Facebook group and posts actually pretty often, but every day he posts a picture of his dry erase board at work because he puts up a new pun. That's awesome. That's it is pretty great. Today's entry was what's a vampire's favorite ship? (gasps) Hmm. A blood vessel. Oh, I like it. Nice. Nice. Well, thank you guys for being members of our Patreon. And if you want to be involved in this, whatever (laughs) Whatever this this was, (laughs) go to our Patreon at patreon.com virgin. Go to patreon.com slash horror virgin and join up one of the levels there. Yeah. For all kinds of insanity. Theme, theme, theme music on the way the theme music is. (laughs) Why do you hate this? This And she's like, oh, he's 
really excited to see you for some reason. Wait, she said that? Yes. Oh, okay. She baited me in for her dog to attack me. Mm. Yeah. That's so how I get they close, get you, Mike. And it goes, hush, hush. And like, she's like, oh. I audibly go, oh, shit. Yeah. She goes, you must remind him of someone else. No. That means you're her type. <laughs> You're not my Michael. <laughs> Welcome to the horror virgin, everybody. I'm oh Jen. I'm Mikey, and I'm your horror virgin, Todd. Which means I don't like scary movies, but you guys make me watch them. That's true. And this week, you guys made me watch the 1980 Stanley Kubrickian mm. Stephen King masterpiece, The Shining. I think it's safe to say that we've all seen this movie before. Yes, we have. Yeah, yeah, and we've talked about it quite a bit because it's pretty well established that I don't really care for this movie that much. Or the book, right? You sort of hate Stephen King in general, so you like are not a fan of anything he's done. I mean, I know you're kidding, but I'm also about to destroy everything from rage. So, no. I know you're kidding, but I hate you. <laughs> Who's Stephen King? <laughs> Jen just mashed all Jen just went Super Saiyan. Um, so yeah, so we watched The Shining tonight. We did. So when did you guys see it for the first time? I'm going to make a confession here. Oh, my God. Did you just watch it for the first time tonight? No. Okay. But this is the first time I've paid attention. Uh, Holy shit. This was my go-to make-out movie for any sort of date if, like, let's watch a scary movie. I'm just saying, the movie's, like, four hours long, nothing happens. It's two hours, 23, but okay. <laughs> two hours and 23 minutes is a long time, guys, okay? Honestly, yeah. it... I only time. need Three? seven. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I'm, and, and I, it's a good movie. I'm not going to shit on it. But I will say, like, if you want to make out with someone, there's a lot of, like, no dialogue. There's a lot of, like, slow There are a lot stuff. of slow pans there's down hallways. Moody stuff. Yeah. There's weird stuff that happens. She's going to turn to you and ask some questions. Oh, yeah. She's definitely going to be like, so are we going to smash or what? That's not what gets asked of me. Oh, my bad. There's <laughs> also make a out. lot of domestic violence in the movie. Which strikes me as not romantic. Yeah, I'm so, yeah, absolutely. So, Mikey, you've only made it to the first 30 minutes of this movie. Jen. They were thrilling. Yeah, yeah. So, Jen. <laughs> what are you talking about? I pillow talked. Jen. Look at me, Jen. So, how old were you when you first saw Jen? I don't remember how old I was, but I watched it probably about 10 to 12, somewhere around there. Yeah, I was probably later. I was probably late middle school, early high school, and Randall, who's actually been on the podcast before, and gave you this... Yeah, uh, that awesome poster. dairy man. Yeah, um, he and I watched it together in his basement. And oh, really? It, it was probably early high school that I saw it the first time. Yeah, and I was there. Are some moments that really, really scared me the first time. Seeing it tonight wasn't scary because I've seen it before, mm. you know. But I mean, I don't hate this movie. I I don't know that I would have called it like a horror movie or like a super scary movie. Yeah, I people think... love this movie. Oh yeah, and I think it is probably Kubrick's best. Maybe Ooh, this yeah. or Full Metal Jacket. I, I like love Clockwork Full Metal Orange Jacket. too. I'll like say this: Orange. Eyes Wide Shut is truly the only movie worth watching. <laughs> what? I'm just joking. <laughs> I just had an aneurysm. Like, oh, call I, know, I know. I know. I honestly don't really like Kubrick's style very much. I, I'm not crazy about it either. So I watched this movie um, before I read the book, and I read the book probably a couple of years later. And the book is one of my favorites of all time. I've probably that's read common it. among Stephen King fans. Right? It is. Yeah, yeah, I would put it in his top five and in my personal top five of just any books. So um, those are the books that you could sleep with, and Corey would be fine with it. Yes, all right, exactly. They're on okay. my list. Yeah, oh, like, and it's laminated. Yes, it's I've laminated. Put a lot of yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Things get messy. <laughs> exactly. Gross. Um, and so I liked the movie before I read the book. And then I read the book and I was like, what the fuck? This is not the story that was in the book. And I love the book so much. I've probably read it about 10 times. I have like really strong connections with it that 
we'll talk about. I think there's a lot in this movie that is done really well. I think technically it's great. I do think there could be 30 minutes cut out of this movie, though. And I made an effort to write down things that I like in this movie because this is now the third time that I've watched this movie specifically to find things that I like about it. Because every time I tell people that I don't like this movie, they're like, they get all condescending. They're like, oh, you probably just don't understand it. Did you say third time? Yeah. People have made less effort to like me. <laughs> yeah, that's dedication, yeah. man. <laughs> I care because I like I understand this is a classic and there are a lot of great things about it. There are just so many choices in this that Kubrick made with this that piss me off so much. And we'll talk about it. So while we're going through this movie, let's talk about how it differs from the book, because I'm never going to read the book. Well, I mean, there's so many things that happen that are different that I'm going to try to keep it. I just can't say everything. It really is just a middle aged white man quitting his job to become a writer, gets a job that can allow him to do that. And the isolation of being in the hotel Drives him insane, and he tries to kill his family. I think you made a point when we were watching, was like his failure kind of drives him insane. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I wish it would have been directed that way, like the wife not seeing ghosts. It was really scary to watch that part come unhinged of him going from loving father, which they don't do a really good job setting up anyway, but like him just slowly becoming more menacing to the family as it goes. But I don't think you ever see him love his family. You don't, you don't. And, and that was one of my problems with right. the movie. Yeah, and I think that that's one of mine too, yeah. And so the book, there's so much in the book that... It's about him being an alcoholic, and that's really what I think about in the book. Sorry, that's funny to me. The, the reason I laughed is because they just mentioned that he hasn't had a drink for five months, and that's right. it. And so that's so much what the book is about. And one of the things that Stephen King is great about is getting into the heads of his characters. They're real people in the book. I mean, they're characters, but like you understand why all three of them are doing the things that they're doing, and they come to life in a way that they just don't in this movie. Well, let's just get into the fucking movie, because we're... We're starting to get into it anyway, so let's just we get into are. it. So we start off with music and sideways water, and I love these credits. This is one of the, th- this, I think this is my favorite part in the movie. Strong. <laughs> wow. Bring uh, it on, guys. <laughs> strong words. Peaks early. I do, I really, because the music we've got, dun, 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 dun. I think the music in this movie is great. The music in I, this movie is fantastic. I think it's very, very good. I yeah. don't hate these credits, because it's very pretty, and it's like stabilized helicopter, helicopter mm. shots. Which I like a lot. It's very, very cool. We know how much Mikey loves helicopters. Yeah, you do love them. (laughs) I'm surprised during the shot we weren't hearing a... I do it better. From you. Helicopter. Well, and so while we're, like, the camera keeps turning to these, and it looks like kind of crooked, but still under control. Like, it's not shaky, but it's just unstable. And I think it really kind of sets the mood of the movie, you know? I mean, even if it just sets up the location that the movie's going to take place at, it's very, very isolated. I think it does a good job of that. I think so, too. But here's what I don't like about it. Uh, Here we go. It's great. But the scene after this is him interviewing for the job. Yes. But the whole family's in the car. No, the whole family's not. not in the car. You're thinking of The Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> the oh. whole family's not, <laughs> yeah. not in the car The yet. whole family's back in Denver. We actually see a scene with the wife and the kid in Denver oh, yeah. while he's up there. He calls them on the I phone. I thought it was like edited out of order. Okay. Oh, no, 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 no. Now, no. fun fact about that, though, these roads do not lead to that hotel. And like there are people who have done research and tracked down these roads and they're like, this would not be the way to get to that specific hotel. And I think he intentionally did that to like disorient you. The tracking shots are very pretty, but we eventually do get to the Overlook Hotel and Jack Nicholson walks in and has an interview with uh, the, I guess, hotel manager or owner or whatever. Mm -hmm. What's his name? With Allman. Yeah. And fun fact about his office, there's an impossible window in the back of it. Like that, that office is an interior office. Oh, yeah. I didn't. 
think about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stuff like that throughout window. the whole movie. So he's having his <laughs> um, interview with Mr. Ullman in his impossible window office. So in this interview, we find out that Jack Nicholson is a teacher who quit his job because he wants to write the great American novel or whatever. And he's going to be taking care of the hotel for the six months or five months. Five months, I think. Uh, that the winter season's there. I actually think he was just trying to write a children's book. <laughs> Talking about playing. Like yeah. it's a reader. I think it's know? just a children's book. And he had the dialogue. He just couldn't get the illustrations down. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to illustrate on a typewriter. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't think about it. So in the book, they go into a lot of backstory about his former teaching job. He actually assaulted a student and got fired. What? what? Yeah, and the way that he got his job is that he was drinking buddies with one of the owners of the university who also sits on the board of this hotel. So oh. he got fired, and so this was kind of like a last chance kind of bailout favor for a friend. The interview in this movie, like there, Mr. Ullman is real cool, and they're all buddy-buddy, and in the book, like they hate each other, and Mr. Ullman's a dick. And you just hear Jack's internal monologue of just hating him and being really angry. And I say that because it just sets him up as somebody who's just an angry, narcissistic, insecure person. Who, Jack? Jack. Yeah. yeah. He does seem that way throughout the course of the movie, though. Yeah, but what's great about the book, too, is that you see that he's a real person, and he feels bad, and he actually loves his family, and he interacts with them, and there's just none of that in this movie. And in the book, it's a combination. Like, the hotel sees that weakness in him and exploits it, and sees that he is the weak link in his family because he has issues that he hasn't dealt with. Like, you really feel sorry for him in the book. I did not in the movie. No, you don't in the movie. Because and I don't think Kubrick wants you to. I think Kubrick is like celebrating him. He's like almost like an anti-hero. I think that's the... Like from what I know about Kubrick and how he made this movie, like I think he wants... Like Jack is the only character that he cares about. And that's why he's the only character that's developed. And that's what pisses me off because I see the character that Jack could have been in the book and all of the wrong things are embraced in this movie and it drives me crazy. So what happens after the interview? <laughs> all right. So he gets the job and he calls Wendy and we see... He meets someone else in the interview. It's well, the... Uh, the uh, it's like, Watson. He's he's like the, the normal caretaker. Yeah, he helps solve crimes with Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> but while he's not doing that during the summer months, <laughs> I mean, he's at the Lookout Hotel taking care of the grounds. Yeah. And then during the winter months, he hands it over to Jack and then yeah. he flies back to the U.S. UK, uh-huh. uh, right. and helps and Sir helps Arthur Sherlock. Conan Doyle and, <laughs> and Sherlock on some mysteries. Yeah. yeah, they do tell him in this interview that like, hey, uh, what happened last winter, a few winters ago, was uh, this guy killed his whole family oh, himself. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. do set up the murder-suicide thing. Right. Yeah. Just like the notebook. <laughs> Just like the it's notebook! not like the notebook. That doesn't happen in the notebook. No, th- that was a loving murder-suicide. That is true. This is a hateful one. This yes. is a hateful murder-suicide. In fact, murders his two daughters, who were eight and ten, his wife I thought they were and twins. himself. They are not twins. One was eight, one was ten. They they're, just cruelly dress them alike? They're played by twins and they're made to look exactly like twins. But yeah, they are eight and ten years yeah. apart. They say that in the movie. So, but what he's setting up is that, because um, w- he's saying, why wouldn't you make this a ski resort? Because it's on a mountain and it's gorgeous. And he's yeah. saying, there's 25 miles of road that would be impossible for us to keep open because it snows so much. Which I think is a subtle dig. Like, you just drove up yeah. here. What do you you really know why we can't yeah. keep it open, <laughs> exactly. Jack. Because they say, like, the winters are really cruel and they'll come back and there's, like, tons of damage on the hotel. 
Yeah, so, so his job is to heat uh, every section of the hotel every day, and if like it gets damaged, to do as much repair as he can do to keep the elements from getting in. Yes, and there's also, they mention the boiler in this scene, and that is a big plot point in the book, because the boiler is really old. Is it? It really I'm is. I'm laughing because you never hear about it <laughs> you again. You don't. Yeah, sorry. You see it in one place that I'm going to talk about, because I got thoughts. Okay. Part of his job is to go dump the pressure off of the boiler, because if it gets too pressurized, then it'll explode. So that's one of his main jobs to do. And I love the allegory of that or the metaphor because he is a dry drunk, basically. And he is continue like he's not maintaining the pressure that's building up because he hasn't dealt with the reasons that he's drinking. He just stopped drinking. So yeah. he just stopped maintaining himself. And the thing that was keeping him going, he took away, but he didn't do anything to address it. So the metaphor in the book is actually just overlooked in the movie. Yes. Which brings us to the Overlook Hotel, where we are currently. Ah. So he does get the job. He calls his wife, and his wife answers the phone. But mm-hmm. it, I think before he calls his wife, you see his wife and, and the Danny. kid, Danny. Danny. Yes, yeah. And they're talking, and Tony says, whatever, whatever. Uh, don't go to the hotel, oh. Danny. <laughs> well, yes. So we meet Tony. <laughs> He's my favorite. So Danny is his son and Wendy is his wife and they're eating lunch back in, I think they're in Boulder. Tony is a little imaginary friend that lives in Danny's mouth and he talks with his finger that you can't see because it's a podcast, but I'm doing it right She's now. She's doing it. It's I weird. Am. It's sort of a come hither motion. I can't motion. stop though. If you I don't know. <laughs> talking about a child's imaginary friend? Not finger banging somebody. <laughs> This went real bad for me. It did. Spoiler for the book. His middle name is Anthony. And so Tony is just kind of a manifestation of his... Shining? Yeah, his shining. And he can't understand that he's like psychically getting this stuff. So it presents itself as like a He's got a more mature part of his brain that like takes over sometimes. Yeah. Man, I... I mean, they actually do address that in the movie. They do. The chef whose name Dick Harden... I'm sorry, what was that? Dick Halloran. Dick Halloran. Dick Halloran. Yeah. So Dick Halloran and, and him talk about that. They do. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. they actually mm-hmm. do sort of address that in the movie, but kinda, much later. I kind of need a more mature part of my brain that speaks for me sometimes. Yeah, All Mikey. the time. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It works Just, for this podcast. Maybe so keep it. <laughs> <laughs> but he talks like that. I honestly, <laughs> I, and I know you sort of made fun of the kid throughout the movie. Like, I, I like the kid. I like the for, kid. And he's I like five him. or six. He's, he was five when they shot him. And he's doing pretty good. Like, I think so, too, for a five-year-old. Yeah, I mean, for a five-year-old, I think he's crushing it. He does that Tony voice real good. Yeah. yeah. Tony does sound like he's been smoking like 12 packs a day since he was a fetus. <laughs> <laughs> but Tony doesn't want to go to the hotel. No. And Wendy's trying to figure out why and he's I thought he was like a ghost or some shit that he had and that he connected with. But that now that I know it's like just his psychic powers with its own voice, that's pretty cool. Are you just now realizing that? Yeah, I thought I still thought it was like a spirit or some shit. Did you watch the movie? Were you making out with somebody <laughs> on this couch while we were watching it today? In my mind. Oh, no. my God. <laughs> Your Tony's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So anyway, Jack calls them. He has the job. Oh, but first Tony's like. Your dad's about to call. He got the job. That's right. He's like brushing his teeth or whatever. Oh, that's right. He's at work in the sewer. Yeah. yeah. He's like, hey, Danny. Your dad got the job. He's about to call. And he's like, I'm just brushing my teeth. Like, Tony, like, what's up? And he's like, oh, I love the pizza. Yeah, his, his name is Tony. It would make sense that he would talk like that. Yeah. 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 These are just facts, guys. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he does have that revelation, but he also passes out then. And he we does. see a nurse or doctor who's overlooking him, and the mom is in his room, right? Yeah, but for 
first well, he's asking why he's asking Tony why he doesn't want to go to the hotel, and Tony shows him the picture of the elevator opening and all of the blood. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Tony's hotel. like, "Hold on to your shit, Danny." Yeah, <laughs> and he like Danny watches his family get murdered and he passes out. Well, he, no, we see the Grady twins. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. We see some scary stuff. Yeah, he does, and he's been seen by a doctor because he's like had like a seizure or an episode, and so the mom has called a doctor, and while the doctor's examining him, she's just standing like pretty chill in the back of the room like she doesn't care. I think she's even sitting down in a chair back there. Yeah. She goes, this wasn't really a seizure. Does he have an imaginary friend? Yeah, there, and there's mm-hmm. nothing physically wrong with him. Oh, yeah, that's what they say in the movie. Which is a big leap considering she never took his blood pressure or examined him in any way. So in the book, they actually bring him to a doctor because he's had these episodes before. And they've started to get darker when they start talking about going to the hotel because he's knowing that some dark shit's about to happen. And so they take him to the doctor and um, because they're like, we're about to go isolate ourselves in a hotel. If our kid has a seizure disorder, we need to know about it now. Yeah. Showing that they love their child. At least the mom does. Oh, in the book, they both go. In the book, this is the scene in the movie that pisses me off more than anything else. And it's one of my favorite scenes in the book because in the book, they both go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. They're talking about what's happened. They're talking about when Jack broke his arm because in the book, he didn't dislocate his shoulder. He broke his fucking arm. I don't know why they made the choice to minimize it, but it pisses me off. And I fucking hate that Jack is not in this scene because it is putting all of the responsibility on Wendy for explaining all of this shit and apologizing for all of it. And it pisses me off. Yeah. And honestly, this would have been a good way in the movie to show that Jack was a caring father in the beginning. And then it makes the turn so much worse at the end. Exactly. Well, I mean, in the book, does Jack break his arm? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's the same thing. It's just not dislocating his shoulder. And that's what I'm talking about with, I feel like Kubrick is apologizing for Jack this whole movie and trying to minimize all the bullshit. So part of the reason that I love this book so much and that I really connect with it is because I was married to an abusive man. I grew up with a father who was emotionally abusive and I'm an alcoholic. So I'm connecting with all of these people. I grew up watching my mom apologize for everything that my dad did. He never actually hurt me physically. And so I watched this scene and it's just, it doesn't feel odd to me. It feels like what I've always seen. And it pisses me off so much. And Kubrick could have made a story about an actual person that I can connect with. A person who, it's, it's hard to be a parent and... It's hard, like you get angry and you do things that are terrible. And I'm not saying that it's okay to break your child's arm because that's terrible. And I'm not saying it's okay to drink, but I'm saying Jack is a human being in the book. And I don't see him being a human being in this movie. I see everyone around him allowing him to be this monster. And I include fucking Kubrick in that because he is taking all of the humanity away from Jack and celebrating the monstrosity. And it just makes me so angry. Thank you for sharing all that. First off, so you're saying this scene's pretty realistic without all the context of like a wife apologizing of him actually abusing the kid. So like she could be downplaying, like he could have broke his arm, but she's telling the doctor it was dislocated because that could be a more realistic view of like domestic violence situation, things like that, because they do downplay and explain it away. Yeah, because that that doctor wasn't the doctor that treated it. Exactly. She, right. We don't yeah. know what happened in the past. And, and you think it kind of activates a lot of stuff because you are getting so angry because in those situations with those outside people, it does kind of minimize and celebrate the dad 
mm-hmm. when, because no one really knows the truth. Only the people in the family know the truth. Right. I, I don't know if celebrates the right word, but when I read that scene in the book, I love it so much. And Jack says, I'm glad we're having this conversation. This is the first time alcohol and abuse have been talked about out in the open. And that's a huge step in recovering from things like that. And I love it in the book because I never saw it in my life. And Kubrick takes it away. And I don't get to see it in the movie. And it just makes me so angry. If right, I right. hadn't read the book, I would think, oh, yeah, that feels like my family. Absolutely. It, but she goes I on. know that it could be what I want it to be. And, and it go- should have been because that's what was in the book. Exactly. Right. Well, and then she goes on to explain to the doctor he was drunk and then he stopped drinking. He hasn't had a drop since then and all these excuses yeah. and things like that. My youngest brother is in active recovery. He's, he, he is an addict. And, and just recently. And I, sh- I want to say, too, I am a recovering alcoholic. He, my mom made a lot of excuses for him and things like that. So I can really read a lot from that scene. And I can see why you got angry at that, because I had to listen to my family members explain stuff away and minimize things and change facts. And the frustration there is very palpable. And <clears throat> you don't a lot of times you don't get that scene of like they come back and they they admit they did wrong and they want to change and things like that. So I understand. I understand that that hits home because that, that hits home for me personally, too. Uh, and that's and that's your youngest brother. So well, and so she says. The other thing that she says is that Jack promised he would stop drinking after he dislocated his arm, and that she can leave him if he ever started drinking again. And, and he does stop drinking for that. He does. Yeah. yeah, he does. And he doesn't drink. I mean, that happens in the book too. Although I think it's just so blunt the way they say that he just stopped drinking. Like you said, okay, well, I'll just never do it again. Alcoholism is really not present in this movie at all. You know, did if I hadn't said that, would you have picked it up at all? I thought it because when he starts losing it, yeah, he goes to the bar. Yeah, that's the trigger. Mm-hmm. So like I would have because they mentioned it once early, and then, but it's very thro- it's like almost a throwaway type thing at the very beginning. But then at the very beginning of what I think is like the massive decline when he's like, uh-huh. I'm going to kill my wife and kid. He has that at a bar. And in the book, there's so much you get in his head so much about why he actually wants to stop drinking. Like he doesn't want to do it just to promise Wendy something. And if somebody in your life quits drinking because you made them, then that's, they need another reason. But yes, and that's what I love about the book is it, and Stephen King wrote this when he was an alcoholic, but didn't realize he was an alcoholic. And he had young kids and he was frustrated. And so I think he was taking a lot of his personal feelings out in this book about it. And I feel like he just humanizes Jack and he humanizes somebody with an addiction who's really struggling with it. And there's just nothing like that in the movie. Do you think they celebrate Jack's downfall as much as his like his death as much as his downfall? Like his evilness? You think he's like the anti-hero, but he does die. I think he gets everything he wants in this movie. You think he wants to die? No, I think he wants to be in the hotel forever. I think he wants to go back to a time when he could just get handed everything he wanted. Oh, like the hotel being a metaphor for like his life. Yeah, I mean, he. Di- I don't think he wants to die, but I do think he wants to not have the responsibility of like trying to make his life what he wants it to be. I think he would rather have this facade of what he thinks his life should be in the hotel, even th- if that means he dies. Let's get back into yeah, it. Yeah, let's get back into it. So yeah. now it's closing day. <clears throat> closing time. One last call for alcohol. And it actually is. Yeah. Because there's no alcohol up there. Yeah, they literally shut down the alcohol. Now they, they have that ghost bourbon later on. I hear ghost bourbon. It's very expensive, but <laughs> top shelf. It'll cost you your soul. And guess what I buy the ladies on the date? Oh, no. Uh, you get, no, you buy them real bourbon. Oh, I know. 
<laughs> so now it's closing day and they're doing the same mountain drive, except now the whole family is in the car. And this is the only time we really see Jack and Danny interact at all. Until another scene where it looks like he's about to eat him in the bedroom. And I thought that was interesting because he's they're talking about the Donner party. Danny knows about cannibalism, even though he's five, because he's heard about it on the TV. Oh, because Tony was like, oh, hey, Danny, uh, sometimes people eat each other when they're hungry. It's a me, a Tony. Your psychic ability. <laughs> and so they get to the hotel. <laughs> so they get to the hotel and they're sitting in the lobby. And did you guys catch that Jack was reading a Playgirl? I didn't. I did. Okay. Did also, I think the giant cocksmithman, uh, the groundskeeper, what's his name? <laughs> Helen, Helen did Cox. Did you just have a stroke? <laughs> Helen Cox, giant giant dick. What's, what's the name? The chef's name is Dick Halloran. <laughs> and he's how not dare the you? He's an angel. I'm yeah. pretty sure he's reading a porn on the plane, too. I think there, I mean, he's got porn all over his He house. actually doesn't have anything he's reading on the plane. He's talking to the stewardess. The woman next to him is reading like a business girl no, magazine. No, no, no. <laughs> no there's girl. like naked pictures in that magazine. Yeah, that's what business girl is. Have you not read business girl? I only read the article. Look, I'm a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I honestly don't know what it's like to buy magazines yeah, of porn because the internet age. exists. Yeah. 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 Jen. Jen. Your turn, Jen. What's the next scene? Yeah, All where right. do you watch your porn, Jen? <laughs> it's Business Girl Magazine only yes. for me. Accounting Ooh, look at that pantsuit. Ooh. I mean, I do like a good pantsuit. Okay. <laughs> so now they're taking the tour of the hotel. Yes. And they're going through the Colorado Lounge, which we'll see a lot in this movie. That's kind of like the main, like... Oh. Where the giant fireplace is. Yeah. It's the only room I would spend time in. I would re- I would make a giant fire and read all day. Yeah, me too. That's one thing I like about this movie is the hotel is amazing and I want to live there. I yeah. would kill myself if I had to stay there for five months. Oh, well, yeah. I don't want to live there hauntedly for five months by myself. No, I mean, even if the place wasn't haunted, I would kill myself. So there, and there's lots of authentic Native American designs that they mention specifically. They mentioned that the hotel was built on an Indian burial ground. None of that is in the book. Yeah, I think specifically Kubrick did this on purpose. Like he, he wanted to tell a story subtly in this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what that story is. I don't either. And I don't really care. The documentary 237, Room 237 goes into that in more detail. So if you want to reach out and tell us about that, we'd love to hear it. And if you disagree with us, that's totally fine. That's you're welcome to your opinion. And we Yeah, it's just like it. my opinion, man. I'm just yeah, not exactly. A, if you're a detail-oriented person, this is the horror movie for you. True. Mm. All right, so we see Danny throwing darts in the game room because his parents just have let him wander around this strange place. Um, And so he's throwing darts, and we start to hear menacing music, and he turns around, and the Grady twins are right behind him, and he's seen them in his flashback right before he had the seizure. And they're just standing there, and then they kind of smile at each other and walk away, and it's really creepy. And those are one of that's one of the things I think is effective about this movie. I think there are very unsettling imagery that. Kubrick is able to do and I think this is one of them Absolutely. I like the, the tone of the movie is just scary and oppressive yeah yes. and just like building dread mm. you know I just don't ever feel like it goes anywhere I want it to go so we see the staff quarters and then we go out and see the gigantic hedge maze yeah yeah, and now, it's still it's still like summerish time. It's not summer, yes. but you know, every there's still guests there. It's autumn. still very green. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. autumn. Uh, and guys, I just went to a pumpkin patch and I was in a hedge maze, and it was like a three foot tall hedge maze, so I could see over it. But it was a little bit scary. I've never. I don't think I've ever done a hedge maze. I have done a corn maze. I've yeah. had sex in a corn maze. Have you? But uh, I've never done a hedge maze. Did you get corn scent? <laughs> <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit! I actually think it was her idea. 
<laughs> and I Did being, she get corn sand? Yeah. I mean, listen, if a really hot girl is like, hey, have sex with me, I'm not going to be like, no. Oh, I am. I'll be like, what? Is this a trap? Are you a scarecrow in disguise? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want my soul or kidneys? <laughs> what is your life like? <laughs> so they're going through the head. Well, they're not actually going through the hedge maze. They're walking past it. And the hedge maze is not in the book at all. What? What? In the book... It is topiary animals, and it's like really like uh, nine foot tall, like topiary I got you. Uh, bunnies and rabbits, and well, bunnies and rabbits are the same thing. <laughs> bunnies and rabbits there's and like uh, hares. Dogs. Oh my! I think, <laughs> <laughs> there's like dogs and leaves and stuff. And right. so Jack used to be a uh, like a head. He would trim hedges, and they make that innuendo. So, anyways, there are all of these gigantic hedge animals, and it's one of the creepiest parts in the book because Danny would be like outside playing. And he'd hear like a noise and turn around, and one of the animals is in a different position. Oh, yeah. And it's super fucking creepy. And there's a point where they start to chase Danny, and it sounds real cheesy, but it's really well done in the book. I'm actually, this is one of the things I think Kubrick made a smart choice with because there's no way you could do that and make it look good in 1980. I think even now, if you tried to do it, it would, I don't know. It would be all CG. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. it would be, it would have the problem that It Chapter 2 has. Yeah. It wouldn't look good. Um, And so they're also, they're talking about how the hotel was built on an Indian burial ground and then they walk past a snowmobile. So we know there's an out. And it operates just like a car, so anybody can drive it away. Yeah, they actually made a point to say that. They did. If you can drive yeah. a car, you can drive this, just be a little more careful. Right, exactly. And if I were Wendy, I would be happy to know that. Like, hey, you're you're not really trapped here. Yeah, and yeah. also, I mean, at this point, she's not thinking her husband's going to try and kill her, but her right. son does have medical issues. And exactly. if something happens, in the rare event it does, we have an emergency exit But you guys valve. are also being right. too serious. I mean, if it snows, we're definitely going to, like, go snowmobiling with this thing, right? Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... I would take it out for like a pleasure drive. Right, exactly. Yeah, that sounds fun. You guys would wreck that snowmobile on the third drive out and then get stuck in the hotel. It would be way sooner than that. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. 20 minutes. I'd be like, pull this. I'm going to get in the tire. You pull me. I'm going to get in the tire? Like the tube. Like we're going to go snow tubing. Oh, Tied yeah, 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 to yeah. the snowmobile. I got you. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So this is when we meet Dick Halloran, who yes. is the cook at the restaurant. And I love him so much. And yeah. He actually makes an appearance in the book, It. Oh, does he? Mm-hmm. What? You remember the Black Spot Hotel? Yeah. Or the Black Spot? He is the cook there. Um, Wendy, Halloran, and Danny are going into the kitchen while Ullman and Watson and Jack take more of a tour around the hotel. And this is one of my favorite parts of the book because they're walking through and they're like describing all of the food in the pantry. And Yeah, Halloran's well, I, literally I like the telling them how much they have. Yeah. He's like, you got 25 chickens, 30 hams, 60 pounds of hamburger meat. He's like going through yeah. all of it. Yeah. And, and like I love 40 it. like sirloin steak. And they can just eat all this? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's yeah. for them to survive the winter because they're not supposed to leave yeah mm-hmm. i mean they've got to stay up there and oh, they've man. got like a turkey for thanksgiving for him and they like, had like 20 turkeys yeah and like yeah. legs of lamb i just love the part of this part in the book and a lot of this is straight out of the book okay yeah yeah he's like we got some oj some purple stuff oh yeah you got some sunny, sunny d. d oh it's a mia tony i hate the sunny d <laughs> it tastes like orange juice with an aspirin in it it's tylenol but oh yeah. my bad sorry, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's tylenol <laughs> yeah it's so gross sorry. sunny d will kill you oh. <laughs> but this is where they first have their like uh, shining connection, yeah, right? Yeah, because it, Halloran's talking and just looks over and is like, hey, you like ice cream, Danny? And it's not as creepy as it sounds. No, it's I creepy. No, I mean, Halloran literally reaches out and touches a five-year-old boy with his shining. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, 
You want some ice cream? And that is grooming 101. <laughs> but Halloran is delightful. I He's love definitely him. friends with a lot of people, well, like Ramon knows. and other yeah, people. Yeah, he, <laughs> he might be afraid of Ramon because he does go down to a porn filled shack. Yes. And he's like, call me anytime, Danny. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Halloran. Reach out and touch me with your shining. <laughs> oh, Halloran is one of my favorite characters. How dare you besmirch him? But then Danny says that his favorite food is ketchup and french fries, yes. which is also my favorite food. So, well done, Dave. Well, then, then, then. So now, Wendy goes on the rest of the tour with the hotel. And so, with Halloran and Danny have some totally appropriate alone time. He's like, can I get your son ice cream by ourselves? And they yeah, do. Sure, but, whatever. It's the yeah. 70s. We don't care. Yeah, no one's paying attention to this kind of <laughs> stuff. Halloran is really nice and kind. He doesn't do anything inappropriate at all. Yeah. He does explain The Shining to Danny. He does. Which I think would be... I think nice. It is nice because yeah. Danny, because he's saying like, I bet you thought you were the only one who could do this. And you, and Danny didn't really understand what it was. And so he was talking about how his grandmother had it and they could have conversations with their mind without talking and just what it is and what, how it makes him special. And this is a way they can connect. And it kind of sets up the rules of the movie. So it's like, you can talk to other people. Uh, some people have it. They just don't know it. And places have it sometimes if bad things happen there are good things. But mo- a lot of bad things have happened at this hotel. Yeah. Right. Danny was one of the people that had it and didn't know it. Right. He thought his, like, psychic friend was telling him this shit. Right. And at this point, Tony could cease to exist for me and I'd be fine. But Tony does not. Yeah, no, no, no. Tony's in it the whole time. But, I mean, I would be fine if they never referred to Tony again. Well, and they talk about how the hotel has a little bit of the shining kind of thing, too. And the hotel is, like, kind of a sinister version of this kind of power just, like, concentrated in a place. And if it can get Danny to die in the hotel, it will give them a lot more power. This is the plot hole. Todd brought up if the hotel really wants this I'm asking you a book question okay why doesn't it go after Dick well I think it probably did but it can't in the same way because Dick is there during the summer season when everyone else is there too and it did actually they, they talk about a part where he goes up into the attic and that he's seen a couple of things like he saw the lady in that bathroom also oh because he's scared of 237 yeah 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 he's scared there and he has decided this is going to be his last summer working there because he's seen some shit in the hotel also if you're psychic could you get a better job than cook I think he likes to be a cook he's like the manager of that restaurant he's not like a line cook like yeah. it's a pretty pretty prestigious he's like the chef my question was when Halloran dies the hotel has the shining then because Halloran dies there right and I think it does and yeah. I think that's part of what happens at the end of it oh I bet he comes back on the other book or whatever what happens I at the know. end of what at the end of this movie is the hotel is still continuing oh yeah I mean the hotel wins um so but he's saying lots of things have happened here and not all of them are good and don't go in room 237 all right so now we cut to a couple of weeks later I guess and Wendy's rolling this fancy room service tray through the hotel and actually I really like this part because we get to see part of the hotel this is one of the tracking shots that I really enjoy I think they do it over and over and over again and I get a little tired of it so in the documentary these tracking shots, they do some of them the same. Mm-hmm. They take different paths. Oh, yeah, So yeah. if you lay out the thing, like her tracking shot doesn't really, isn't really possible the second time she does it. It does it a lot with Danny and the, and the uh, tricycle. Is that yeah. like he, yeah. he takes three wheel. lefts? The big wheel, yeah. Well, he takes three lefts and then when he does it again, it's like a diff- it's like a right. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like supposed to be, I mean, I just didn't notice it because I'm not detail-oriented. But, but I think it's like, it's supposed to give you a sense of disorientation, right. you know, and to show how big this hotel is and how like small they are inside of it, you know, to make the hotel hotel seem more powerful. Yeah, I get that. Oh, I felt yeah. that before. Yeah. <laughs> but I like, I kept thinking that he was going to run into her as, I heard it, I chose to move on. 
<laughs> I kept thinking he was going to run into her, but I think you're right. It's because the the roots don't make sense. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I think is great about this movie. I think technically it's really well it is. done. It's a masterclass in detail. Yeah. And yeah. that part of it really holds up. Like yeah. 30, almost 40 years later, too. Yeah. So now Wendy's waking Jack up with breakfast and it's like 1130. They even mentioned, man, we got to stop staying up so late, which sort of, I think, indicates a decent-ish relationship no, between them. No, she says... He was staying up yep. too late. It was oh. a separate He's like, I guess I've been staying up too late. Uh-huh. So he's already been by himself. She's making him breakfast. It's very, the relationship from the jump feels very icky. Yeah. It just feels fractured. It feels like he's avoiding time with his family. No, it feels like he does what he wants and she's subservient to it. Yeah. No, I yeah. agree with that it, too. Yeah. I mean, it gets worse later on. It gets more overt, but it starts here. It started before mm-hmm. they got to the hotel. It did. Yeah. But it's it starts here. And then he like asks, he like tells her to go make him sandwiches at one point. But yeah, I mean, I think when you're trying to distance yourself from your family, you stay up really late and you put yourself on a different schedule. But he's also talking about how he feels really happy and comfortable here and that he felt like he knew what was going to happen around every corner. And that's not something that's happening in the book either. And then we get typewriter close up and we're hearing like really loud booming sounds that I thought was like really sinister. No, it's just him throwing a tennis ball exactly. against the wall, which I liked. Because, I, I mean, if I had that much space to do whatever I wanted and there was like no phones or whatever you could fuck with or like video game systems or whatever, I would probably be throwing a fucking bouncy ball against a huge ass wall and just no. playing handball. I'd be like, what else can we burn in this giant fire? Or writing. Yeah, but I think this with sort whatever, of signifies Jim. that he's not really a writer. Yeah. In the book he is, and in the book he is actually working on a play, and I love how King does it in the book because you see the characters start to become more and more sinister and the villain of the play start to like become more of the hero. And I think in this movie, he just wants to be a writer and can't. Oh yeah, and he just the, expects it like to be handed to him. Yeah, I think ex- I think you said it exactly right there. Like he expects everything to be handed to him, mm-hmm. and then he is not talented, or he's not right. good enough, or he's actually not a writer, or whatever. Yeah, and that's what drives him insane in the movie. Yeah. At least that's, no, what, it, so that's what it seems like to he me. He can't even read. <laughs> I mean, he, <laughs> he can, can write read, like, seven words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Danny and Wendy are outside playing together. Yeah, um, and they go into the hedge maze, and I love the camera tracking them in this part too. It's again the steady cam, but I. I just love how it tracks them because we get to a feel of the size of everything and yeah. the size of the maze too and you can feel what it's like to be in there and i love i'm not sure if this is the time they do it but there's a time when jack walks up to a miniature of the this maze and they're looking he's looking down at it and then it slowly zooms in and you start to see them in mm-hmm. the very center of the maze i love that shot That's a really yeah. cool it was shot. so good the movie does a really great job with feelings like yeah you I feel agree. trapped in that hotel with yeah. them and yeah the atmosphere is great yeah okay so now it's tuesday and there's a snowstorm coming and this is what i wrote her outfits are just so bizarre yeah they're weird she makes some weird outfits choices but it's right. like early 80s man it it's is yeah not only that you're in a hotel isolated my outfits would get fucking weird oh i'm i would be <laughs> impressed if you had pants on <laughs> it would be like sweatpants with daisy dukes on top of it with like a gorilla mask and maybe like just sleeves what, of a sweatshirt <laughs> <laughs> listeners i need some uh, fan art of what you just of what you think mikey would wear <laughs> if he was alone in a hotel for five months <laughs> i'm just wearing the sheets at that point <laughs> oh, it's just like permanent toga party 
with the sheets. Try to avoid doing laundry for as long as possible. Absolutely. And I'm just walking by in that furry suit. <laughs> this is why I'm not going to hotel and podcasting for five months with you. Oh, uh, you're going to miss out, man. Oh, yes. Yeah. All right. So Danny's big wheeling around. And he goes around a corner and he passes room 237 and he stops and he looks at it. Yeah, looks up at it. Yeah, yeah. And he walks up and he's like touching it and really curious about what's inside. And then we see like a flash of the Grady twins and then he gets on his big wheel and pieces out. Yeah, he's like, fuck this, I'm out. Mm-hmm, but he's curious about it. Yeah, of course he's a he kid. is. Exactly. Yeah, and, and a big dick told him not to go see it. Right. <laughs> a big howling dick. Yeah. But I mean, the worst thing you can do is tell a kid to go not look at something right and of course all he wants to do is go check it out at least right but he did he asked him about it Halloran didn't tell him about the room yeah, he's shining I guess out that's true yeah. yeah so now Jack's writing in the Colorado lounge and Wendy comes to check on him because she's his wife and it's totally reasonable for her just to walk up and see what he's doing and he's oh, see if he needs anything exactly. she, like, whatever like, she's a saint in this fucking or movie. just being like hey I missed you right exactly. yeah I wish somebody would come check on me Mikey, Aww. I'll come check on you. All right, bro. Aww. So she comes to ask if he's written a lot today. Just making conversations. Do you want me to make you some sandwiches? And he's got this super condescending asshole smile on his face. And is talking about whenever she comes in there, she's distracting him. And he's an asshole. She says there's a new rule and that she can't come in when she hears him working. And to get the fuck out of there right now. And it just, I just hate him in the scene. Which, I mean, I think Nicholson does a great job portraying this and it actually it reminded me so much of my first husband so I think he kind of nailed the feeling of it because she's just like you can tell her feelings are so hurt yeah and She's just trying to be like a good wife. Right. And he's treating her like a bad husband. Exactly. He's and, horrible. And that is an example of emotional abuse. Also. Yeah. 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 This is the scene where he's like, I claim the giant room. Mm-hmm. Don't come in here. I you- claim the best room. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote, he's mad because he's not a good writer. He's not mad at her. He's mad at himself and he's taking it out on her. Absolutely. Yeah. And it just. Mm. Okay. And so now she just walks off and probably goes and cries by herself. Yeah. And so now Danny and Wendy are playing together in the snow and having fun. And there are giant snowdrifts on the hotel, which I think are really cool looking. And Jack is just staring out the window, almost drooling. Like he looks like a lunatic. Yeah. You know, he might as well be standing in paranormal activity with the time counter of the movie going over. I will say Jack Nicholson's performance in this movie is stellar. I honestly think the three main characters, the Danny, Shelley McBride, all um, of them are Shelley McBride. Shelly Duvall. <laughs> so Danny, Shelly Duvall, and Jack Nicholson, I think all do an amazing job in this movie. I think so, too. I think with what they have to work with. I wish yeah. Shelly Duvall's character was written way better because in the book, she is amazing and she's like such a strong character. Like she's the mom that I wanted and she does the thing. She's the wife that I wanted to be and she just is empowered and she makes all of these plans. I think Kubrick made choices to try to minimize Wendy's character in the movie and it makes me so mad. And I like how they keep saying the days of the weeks, but there's no reference for what week it is, you know? And yeah, it's it, could, just, it could be three months in or it could right. be a month in or it could it's, be that yeah. next Saturday. Like yeah. you, you just, just don't know. more disorienting, yeah. you know? And And so now Danny's big wheeling again and he turns a corner and the Grady twins are right there and they say hello. And so he sees them and then he's starting to see these flashes of their bodies chopped up in the hallway with blood all over the place. Yeah, Yeah, it is. And it's really effective too. Yeah. And they're saying, come play with us forever and ever and ever and ever. And then he closes his eyes and they're gone. And he's saying, Halloran said, they're just like pictures in a book. They're not real. If I close my eyes, I can make them go away. 
and they can't actually hurt me. They can scare the fuck out of you, though. They can scare yeah. the fuck out of you. But because Danny has this shining, he is actually lending the hotel more power just by being in the hotel. So he is allowing these things to become more powerful just by being just there. by his mere presence. Exactly. Yeah. So whereas oh, they sucks. so that where they may not have been able to hurt somebody else, they can hurt Danny because he gives them more power. Yeah. So Danny and Wendy are now watching TV and they're in a different part of the hotel and he asks if he can go get his fire engine and he can't because Jack's asleep. And there were so many fucking times that I had to tiptoe around my sleeping dad. This scene just reminded me so much of my childhood. Because he walks in and he's really trying not to wake his dad up or let his dad know that he's there. And he sees Jack sitting on the bed and he's just staring into the wall. He's not asleep and it's really creepy. And then he just slowly looks over and sees him. And he is so menacing in this scene. And it's really like, I don't get the sense that he loves Danny at all in this scene. Or Danny, in the whole movie. Exactly. Yeah. Because this was the point where I was like, it, has he interacted with Danny at all since they were driving up to the hotel? And I don't think he has. I don't think so. And you can see that Danny is clearly scared of him. And he makes him go up and like sit on his lap and start talking to him. And he's asking if he's having a good time, asking if he likes the hotel. And he says, I want us to stay here forever and ever. Ever and ever. And he says it just like the twins do. And so I think this is showing that the hotel is starting to get a hold on him and that this whole relationship he has with his son is very superficial and that Danny doesn't feel comfortable around him. Danny probably is scared chillest of him. Yeah. Yeah. If he's the kind of person who mm-hmm. will talk to Wendy like that, I'm sure he talks to Danny like exactly. that too, you know? Or at least to his wife like that in front of Danny. Exactly. And that's just as bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Because what you learn is that you have to make yourself not seen because you never know what's going to happen. Right. So now, but Danny gets out of that jam and he's playing on the carpet. And I really like the carpet in this movie, too. And it's really cool. Um, So he's playing trucks and somebody rolls a yellow ball up to him. And I don't know if it's the ball that uh, Jack was throwing earlier, but there's no one in the the hall to have rolled the ball to him. So we know something is amiss. Mm -hmm. And then we look over and he's right outside room 237 and there's a key in it and the doors open. So, of course, he's going to go in it now. Yep. And he I does. would not. I would have ran away. I would have run away too, especially as a kid. I would have run down the mountain to whatever. Just get the fuck out of there. You burn the mountain down. Yeah. So we see Danny going into the room, and then we cut to Wendy, and this pissed me off too. She's down in the boiler room, and so she is the one maintaining the boiler. And this was a choice that Kubrick made. And if you look at the metaphor that's in the book, that Jack has to go down and relieve the pressure of the boiler, and that's him managing his own emotions. When Wendy is the one that's doing this in this movie. Again, putting responsibility on Wendy for Jack's actions. I yeah. took it as that she had to go do the actual work because, because Jack not. had lost his shit. She makes and excuses. all he yeah. was doing is writing all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy all day. And that she had to actually do the shit that he was hired to do. Right. So, like, the metaphor of the book is not at all in the movie for no. me. Like, I don't see any of that. But I see a different. I mean, it's like, it's just domestic violence. It's like, yeah, yeah, she makes exactly, excuses exactly. for him. She does what he's supposed to do. She's enabling him. She's enabling him. Yes. Yeah. So, she starts to hear weird moaning from Jack, and he's having a really bad dream. And she goes and wakes him up, and he's really scared because he had a dream that he killed her and Danny and cut them in little pieces. So, she's looking at him like, what the fuck? 
fuck? That's a really weird dream. That's a very specific and terrifying dream you're telling me about. Exactly. Given who I am and who you are. (laughs) Yeah. And then we see, this is one of the times I like the slow walking because we see Danny coming up and we just see a little bit that his shirt's messed up and he's slowly walking and they don't even see him yet. So we're, while we're watching this play out, we're trying to figure out what happened with Danny. And so she finally sees him and she runs over and he's sucking his thumb and he's got giant bruise marks like in the shape of fingers on his neck. Yeah. And just staring. And and like, the last time we saw him was when? When he walked into room 237. Right. Exactly. So you exactly. have to assume that it's from that room. Yes. In the book, we get that scene. And oh, yeah. It's terrifying. Yes. Jack, also Danny's parent, sees this and just sits at the chair like, holy shit, I don't have any responsibility here. What the fuck? And Wendy's the one who goes over and like starts asking him about it. What happened? And then she, of course, thinks that Jack did this. One, because it's happened before. Two, because she knows Jack. And three, because Jack's just sitting there like some kind of weirdo. And also she knows she didn't do it. And exactly. who else the fuck, who else the fuck is there? who else could yeah. it be? Yeah. So she picks Danny up and tries to get him out and thinks that Jack has done this. And so Jack gets real mad and rage walks down to the bar. So he sits down at the bar and starts talking to Lloyd. He orders a bottle of bourbon and some ice and Lloyd brings it to him because there's now a full bar that's emerged from the bar too. bottle service, all right. Yeah. (laughs) And I really like Jack Nicholson in the scene. This is one of the scenes where I think he really kind of... Man, he's good in all the scenes but like you sort of hate his character, which you're supposed to. But you're scared. I'm scared of his character. Yes. Yes. He is very, very good. And honestly, a lot of the times when he's mad, I see a lot of my dad angry in his portrayal of Jack. Do you really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I see a lot of my first husband in yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, like scarily. Yeah. And as much as I get mad at his character, I'm not mad at Jack Nicholson. No, he's, he's great. He's doing what he was given to do. Lloyd's asking him how things are going, and he's talking about how he's got a problem with the old sperm bank upstairs. Dick. All right. Sorry. No, Dick is the chef. Yeah. Ass. Lloyd is the... Dick's Lloyd got his own sperm bar. bank down in Miami where he's yeah. enjoying himself. <laughs> he's looking to make a deposit. Mm. <laughs> All right. But, but yeah, saying, he is an asshole. Yeah. yeah. He's <laughs> saying he hasn't laid a hand on Danny. And he's like, I even love this son of a bitch because it's surprising that you would love your own son. Absolutely. Yeah, and he said he he did hurt him once, except it, but it was totally an accident. Except he was drunk, which makes it more than an accident. To me, this is like the biggest red flag because I I have a pet, like a personal pet peeve. I don't like the way that like when you're hanging out with the guys or whatever, how they talk about women sometimes. Like if like you can tell a lot about by a guy about how he talks about his significant other when she's not around. If in any of those situations he refers to his significant other as the sperm bank upstairs uh-huh. or at home or whatever, mm-hmm. he's not a good dude. And that is not even as bad as I've heard in like real life. Oh yeah. no, yeah, I've heard much worse. I don't know. Maybe it's because I was like raised mostly by my mom in my formative years. I don't know. I just it just really yeah, it's a pet peeve. Um, all right, so now Wendy just runs up on him with a bat and is like, "Jack, Jack!" She's saying there's somebody else in the hotel because Danny's woken up and told her what happened. Yeah, it wasn't Jack; it was a woman oh, yeah. in the room. So she's thinking, "Okay, well, there's somebody else in the hotel. Jack needs to figure out what's going on." Yeah, get that person out of the hotel or call someone on the radio or do something. Or do something. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so he goes up to room 237 now. Now we see Halloran, and this is when we see all of the delightful the art that he's got on his walls down in Miami. Can I just say this real quick? I love the way he decorates. <laughs> 
He's got that bachelor life figured oh, yeah. out. If you're decorating your walls with pornography, you're definitely like, I'm not bringing a woman home here. No. Yeah. You're single and happy about yeah. it. Yeah, and I'm just going <laughs> to yeah. live my life. You are yeah. actively like, I don't want anyone else in this apartment. Yes. Right. But so he starts to hear Danny, and he's hearing Danny calling for him and starting to see shots of what's going on. Oh, and what he sees is a vision of Danny walking inside room 237. Yeah. So he knows now that shit's about to go down. And then we see Jack walking into the bathroom of 237. It gets uncomfortable. This is a really tense and scary scene. Yeah, I think, it's weird. Because you see the shower curtain and then you see everything happens so slowly. Just like the movie. Exactly, yeah. It's the opposite of a jump scare. Yeah, you know? but it's more eerie and creepy than like jump scary. Right, and the music is so effective in this yeah. scene too, like, because we see her hands slowly pull the curtain back and then when her leg steps out of the bathtub, there's this point in the music that just makes it so scary and surreal and jack's just standing there like smiling like his creepy self well because you know well yeah she's a naked yeah. hot woman yeah and you know he's kind of a dick i would know something's up best case scenario that woman just strangled your son right right if she yeah. steps out of the bathroom naked i am not gonna be into it in any level i'm gonna be mm -hmm. like hey you just assaulted my son. We've got to talk. First off, why the fuck are you here? Right. But it doesn't say anything. She just slowly walks towards him and he's like into it. Right. Which is unsettling. And it's really effective in the book, too, because these rooms have all been closed down and there's like no sheets on the bed and no like shower curtains or anything because they've closed it down for the season. But so she comes out and she touches his chest and it's so slow and hypnotic. And I think it's like you can see Jack kind of being hypnotized by this, too. And so then they kiss. I don't yeah. like this part at all, man. It's uh, yeah, it's really effective. And because gross. then she becomes an old, old woman with like <laughs> scat boils all over her skin. Well, like it's almost like Liver she's spots. been dead for a long time and she's rotting. Right, That's like what it looked dead like to in me. the water of a bathtub. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, was she supposed to be the wife that was murdered? No. Okay. She's a she's got a backstory. Oh, okay, in, okay, yeah. okay. No, yeah. she's, she's every woman. Like when it first starts off, she's hot out of the shower, and then you go to embrace, <laughs> and it turns into you know she was dead inside the whole time. Oh my god. Is she the one that's dead inside, Mikey? Or is that a little projection? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she has. A, she's just a woman who killed herself in that bathroom. Oh, okay. In yeah. the book, there are lots of these types of characters. Okay. She's the biggest one, but there's like a child, play, like a child ghost on the playground. Like we see lots more instances of the hotel being haunted in okay. the book. So they're kissing, and she, he realizes that he's like making out with this really old, gross, dead woman with. Boily skin all over. Look, and I don't kink shame. <laughs> yeah, listen, if you're into hey, it, you're, what you're into, into it. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. do you. But Jack is not into it. He is he not into it. He starts screaming and trying to get away and backing up. And she doesn't try to attack him. She is attacking his masculinity. She's just laughing at him. And I think yeah. what the point of this is showing that this facade that he wanted isn't real. He wanted it to be a hot lady he was making out with exactly. out of the shower, but now it's just an old woman who's laughing at us. Exactly. Well, it's kind of like his relationship. He likes, he wants the facade, mm -hmm. but it's his fault that it's rotting inside. Yeah, exactly. And that's what he's afraid of because mm -hmm. she attacks Danny, yeah. but she doesn't attack him. Uh, and so he backs out and runs away. Um, and Familiar we, with that move. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm not going to say this every time, but we keep seeing progressive um, scenes of Halloran like starting to come to the hotel. Like he's on an airplane and he's renting a car or he's trying to call people. He's trying Where to get there. in the world is Dick Halloran. Ooh. 
So now Jack comes back and he says he didn't see anything in the bathroom. And Danny, why do you lie? because he doesn't want to admit that the hotel is haunted because then he would have to leave. And he was just making out with a hot lady. You don't admit that to your exactly. wife. Exactly. When yeah. you're that She's, dude. It's a loophole. If she's a ghost. Why do you have bits of rotting flesh on your collar, Jack? If she was a ghost, <laughs> then he didn't really make out with her, right? Yeah, right? Loopholes. Loopholes. <laughs> yeah. Nailed it. But so they're talking about the brute because Wendy's like, of course, something had to have happened. He has actual bruises on his neck. We can see them. And so Jack is gaslighting the fuck out of her and is like, I think he did it to himself. Yeah, you can't do that really you can can't. you like no. i don't think you can choke yourself that hard no and i think the like directions of your thumbs would be different than they would like, be i think person. yeah yeah yeah. they talk about that a lot more in the book and yeah. on law and order svu but he's trying to make excuses for why this is not a real thing because he doesn't want to leave the hotel even though he knows it's putting his family in danger and so while they're having this conversation danny is starting to see the flash of red rum written on the door and he's kind of hearing this conversation conversation jack out of nowhere is furious with her it's insane it really is it's it is insane but it is something that i've seen happen before yeah, and this is, i have to it there's no reason for it he right. is just scared and he's flying into a rage and he's talking about what's going to happen to him when if they leave the hotel because this is his job and they don't have hardly any money and he got fired from his other job that's in the book but like what is he going to do when he gets back how yeah. is he going to be this big important man if he has to like shovel driveways or take like a menial job he's more important than that and why can't they think about him for a change they're at a fucking hotel with no one around for his job i will say a big part of being a man especially in that time period was providing it was but that's yeah. not what i feel like his issue is here he was still provided just wouldn't be important right that's right. what I, that's what i think it is it's he, like a title it's status that he is holding on to or thinks he has or is entitled to because exactly. he is a white man mm-hmm. and if he doesn't if he fucks up again which is still on him although he'll take no responsibility for mm-hmm. he'll lose his last chance at being that what status he thinks he should even be. though he's already fucking up because he's not even doing what he's supposed to yeah which his wife's doing like the, the job. earlier scene mm-hmm. yeah but it's everybody else's fault exactly yeah, yeah. Um, and so he's seeing balloons in the hallway and then he, oh, he starts to hear party music. He and does. He, yeah. And he goes into the bar and it's not empty anymore. No. Now there's this giant 1920s party happening. Yeah. This is one of the points I noticed how strange the speech patterns are with some of these people. It's very like stage acting kind of, yeah. you know, just the way the dialogue fits. And I guess they're all like playing a part. Well, the hotel yeah. is putting on a play for him. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I sort of get that. I don't hate that at all. Yeah, like I, I like that. Right. And yeah. then he gets up from the bar once he's got his drink. And that's when he bumps into Grady. Yeah. Yeah. Who spills his advocat, which looks suspiciously like Sonny D. It does. All over him. <laughs> yeah. Listen. It goes all the way to the top. Yeah. All right. Oh, man, it's not purple stuff. Sandy's <laughs> <laughs> right. so gross. They're never going to sponsor this podcast. I'm going to keep trying. <laughs> I'm going to keep reaching out. We got to get that. If you like your arch juice to taste like someone spit on it and left it outside for three days, Sunny D. It's arch juice with chemicals. (laughs) If you made orange juice out of Windex and children's tears, it would taste like Sunny D. (laughs) How are we not millionaires? I know. It's orange juice, but worse. It's like if someone pissed in your orange juice. (laughs) 
crumpled up chalk. Okay, so now we have the bathroom scene. Yeah, because he takes him to the bathroom. What's his name? Grady? Grady. Delbert yeah. Grady. Yeah, yeah, so Grady takes him to the bathroom to clean up his jacket because it's got a bunch of Never shit Never follow a man into the bathroom. Not a bathroom like that, specifically. Mm-hmm. That bathroom is really cool. But we should say, because I can't remember if we said it at the beginning, Grady is the previous caretaker who murdered yes. his children. And his wife. Um, yes, and his wife. And yeah. His yeah. wife. With, yeah. the, with an axe. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and that's when they're talking about him in the interview with Jack. All right, so now they're in this really cool bathroom. It is a very cool bathroom. It is very cool. Like, it's very red. Yeah, and white. It's very, like, those are the only two colors that yes. exist in this bathroom. So Grady is cleaning off Jack. Yes. He's like, my you, avocado he's drink. Him he's, he's cleaning off Jack's jacket for sure. Yeah, he's like, right. oh, the Sunny D's not going to come out, you know, because yeah. it's completely mm. chemicals. Yeah. Right. And so Jack's trying to say, he recognizes his name. And he's like, weren't you the caretaker here? Didn't you have a wife and two daughters? And Grady's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, he does say he has a wife and two daughters and they're about the place somewhere, but I'm not the groundskeeper. Clearly, I am a, you know, server or bartender or whatever he is. Right. Yeah. And then Jack's like, no, I'm pretty sure you murdered them. Yeah. Like, I'm 100% <laughs> sure you killed your wife and kids. And he's mm-hmm. like, well, oh, and then killed yourself. And he's like, no, no, I'm right here. That's I strange, kill myself. sure, but winky blinky. He literally says, I hate to disagree with you, sir. Yeah, yeah. I hate but to I'm differ still with alive, you. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I love is. how they deliver the lines, too, because he's very formal. And like he'll just take these like three or four second pauses before he yeah. answers. It's really effective. The scene takes about 25 minutes longer than it should. <laughs> yeah. Well, he does admit that he like kind of killed his wife and kid, though, later. Yeah. Well, and he's saying, you're the caretaker. You've always been the caretaker. I should know. I've always been here. And I think this is a, a tactic ah. of the hotel to try to inflate Jack's ego and make him feel like this is where he can be who he wants to be. And where he belongs. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so Grady is saying right now, he's like, your son is attempting to bring an outside party into this situation. He calls Halloran a word that we're not going to say. He's saying that he's got a very strong talent and he's attempting to use the talent against the hotel. And that's when he talks about how his daughters didn't care for the overlook either and tried to burn it down, but Grady corrected them. Yes. Corrected them real good. With an axe. (laughs) And then he's like, and my wife was like... That's not cool. So I corrected her even more. Yeah. Exactly. And now we're back to Wendy pacing around and having conversations with herself about what to do. Yeah, because she's, I mean, I would too. Right. Yeah. Well, and so in the book that she does this a lot more and you understand a lot more of her reasoning for staying with Jack because she's got a really bad family situation too. So if she went to stay with her mom, like there's there's reasons that she doesn't leave before she gets trapped. I get that. It's a pretty shitty situation she's Oh, in. it totally yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. And she's thinking through it and she's saying, we're just going to leave and if Jack won't come, then we'll just go by herself. And this is, I do like her in this scene. Yeah. And so now she's hearing Danny saying red rum from the other room. And um, no, she's hearing Tony. It's a red rum. Tony. Red rum. Red rum. <laughs> You're right. And she's saying Danny can't wake up. Tony is kind of taken over. Uh, Danny's gone now. That Tony's here. You want yeah. the pizza? <laughs> <laughs> well, you were saying earlier, like he's dissociating right now. Oh, yeah. Now. So if, if, if all the supernatural stuff didn't exist, this is definitely signs of like, disassociation of like a kid going through trauma things like that I really like that perspective but you know since Shelly sees the ghost too and he has the shining kind of ruins it but it does a really good job of showing like how this kind of situation can affect family yeah and how a five year old might relate to an abusive situation right he has to disconnect from it yeah, completely and he's gone man. yeah um, so now we kind of get a little montage of Halloran traveling and Jack 
uh, landing. And so we're just seeing that time's passing. And we also noticed that it seems like a lot of people are into porn in this movie. Yeah, Kubrick. Yeah, I think so. And I think that goes along with the theme of like objectifying and minimizing women. Yeah. So now Danny and Wendy are watching Roadrunner. And this is one of the scenes that could have been cut or shortened by like three minutes. No, Danny's gone, man. Like Danny's, yeah. like it's Yeah, Tony's, Tony's watching, watching this. Yeah. True. And he's like, like, I love it, the cartoon. And really, <laughs> I don't really think he does. I think the, they're watching the Roadrunner because that's what the mom normally does with Danny. And they're literally just going through the motions of their day, day by day. Because they don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And TV sometimes is a way to get yourself out of things because it's a distraction. Like, yeah. your mind's not going to wander like it would if you were reading a book. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but she's saying um, she's going to go to the lounge to talk to daddy for just a minute. And she gets her baseball bat and then walks forever out of the room. What I liked about yep. these scenes is that, like Todd said, they're going through the motions, but like you can just feel the fear. Yeah. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think that, I think Kubrick is a great job of building the tension to what is about to happen. Yes. The, the confrontation scene in the Colorado room between Jack and Shelley Duvall. Right. Yes. So she goes in and she's looking for him and he's not there and she goes up to look at what he's been typing and it says all work and no play make Jack a dull boy. And just over and over and over and over again. Yeah, literally on multiple different pages, written multiple different ways. Yeah. Like it looks sort of like a book would look, Mm -hmm. except it's just that same sentence over and over and over and over. It's pretty cool. Which I think is, yeah, it is cool. It's creepy. It's like Uh ominous and like what the fuck is happening. And it's a really concise way of showing that he's losing his mind. Yeah. But you said in the book he's actually writing a play? He is. Yeah. This is not in the book. Okay. This is part of And this is something that I actually kind of like in the movie. I think it's well done. I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't want... Like, there's no way for them to show the characters he's writing in the play in the movie. So I think this is a way that Kubrick made a smart choice of how to show the same kind of feeling. Yeah. Just like the hedge maze. Yeah, I think so, too. And so she's reading this and she's going through it. And um, and then Jack's right behind her and asking if she likes it. It's like one sentence, though. So and this scene is so unsettling. This scene is the scariest part of the movie. It is for me, too. So he's asking what she's doing here. And she's like, I wanted to talk to you. And he's like, well, what do you want to talk to me about? Mm-hmm. What do you want to want to talk to me about and she's like i don't know i don't want to talk now she's let's panicking. like like leave let's just not talk about it this scene is i think a better job than most any movie i've ever seen about someone taking power of a convert in a conversation like someone exerting like emotional abuse or mm-hmm. it definitely t- is emotional abuse taking yeah. the power from someone so effectively in a conversation yeah it's very like hard to watch especially if you've seen your father be abusive to your right. mom which I, mean, I watched a lot growing up yeah. so like it, it was it's a hard thing to watch because it's like mm-hmm. it he feels is, real it yeah it absolutely does and i think that's just because kubrick is really good about getting strong performances out of their actors and he has two really good actors here it's very convincing and she, he's slowly walking towards his wife and she's slowly backing away and she finally does well, no, he says, I bet you wanted to talk about Danny. Mm-hmm. And, then and we, what should be done with him. Yeah, and then we see Danny who's listening in but through The Shining on this conversation. Because he's like, she's like, I don't know. And he's like, I bet you do know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you, tell me, I bet you have a great idea about yeah. it. And like, and then she says it and she's like, take her to the doctor. And then he like mm-hmm. mocks her. And like, yeah. just yep. all of it, all of it in one conversation. Mm-hmm. And you could just feel like the hatred coming out of him. And as they start to get up the stairs, it starts, as, as she starts to climb the stairs, his anger grows and grows and grows and grows. And when he calmly sort of says, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your fucking brains in. Mm -hmm. And it's not like yelled. It's like, 
very controlled, but said sort of even toned. And you're like, oh, God. No, there's a point when his voice drops because yeah. he's had this. Oh, what are you going to do? Yeah. Like this kind of stagey voice. And yeah. he's like, give me the bat, Wendy. Yeah. And you can just tell. And it's so chilling. It is very chilling. And yeah. then she starts swinging the bat at him and eventually hits him on the head. Yeah. Although her batting average is real bad. She swung like 40 times and only connected once. Mm-hmm. So, oh. It's a bad in cage. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. So she's knocking down the stairs. And the next thing we see, oh, no, we didn't talk about what he's saying before because she's saying we need to take him to a doctor. And he's like, have you guys ever stopped to think about my fucking responsibilities yeah. here? Just totally me, me, oh, me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's the worst. I mean, he does just continue that narcissistic style of, you know, it's all about him. It's all about him. Right. You guys are just figurines in my life. I can do whatever with. Mm-hmm. So he wakes up as his head is being dragged across the floor and she locks him in the pantry. Yeah. He clearly has a concussion because he's like groggy yeah. mm-hmm. and you see him being dragged by Shelly Duvall into the pantry. She locks the pantry. This scene's also very unsettling. Yeah. I don't like this at all. And the way that they shoot him once he's in the pantry is his head against the door and the camera filming him from underneath and it is so creepy. It, it is. Creepy. And he tries different strategies to get her to open mm-hmm. the door. I mean, this is yep. what actual abuse looks like. It right. is, yeah. yeah. I mean, but and then he's all like, well, what are you going to do? And she's like, well, I'm going to take the snowmobile and go down the mountain. Mm-hmm. I'll send someone to get you, more or less. And he's like, oh, you've got a surprise waiting for you. Right. And that is super scary. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. very scary. And we've already seen him by this point dismantle the the radio yes um but we didn't see him dismantle the snow machine yeah so she goes to verify and she gets confirmation yeah mm-hmm. she does see he's cut up a piece of it i'm not a mechanic it doesn't work <laughs> and then she's like i guess i'll go to sleep well i mean she's probably in <laughs> shock too and it's like oh mm. it's also okay so hot take maybe not much of a hot take but uh, i think she goes to sleep because this is days later. Yeah. Because when it cuts back to Jack, he's also asleep. Right. He has made a bed out of rice, like bags of rice. Oh. You see open food around him. Right. Is that so he has been eating and living yeah. in that room for what I would assume is days. I thought it was yeah. the same day. Yeah. It's at least 24 hours okay. I think, in the book. Or, yeah. or 12. Yeah. It's an extended amount of time. So she's continuing because she's stuck. Yeah. You know, what's she going to do now? And you were saying she could just live out the rest of the winter there. And he. You could live in there. Exactly. Yeah. If there were no supernatural forces. Yes. But there are, and we hear a knock, knock, knock on the door, and it's Grady. It's Grady, sir. But he's saying um, things seem to be going awry with our plan, and it seems like your wife is a little stronger than we imagined. Yeah, and Grady makes him promise that he will murder his wife and kid mm-hmm. and then lets him out. Deal with it in the harshest way possible. Yes. yes. Gr- Grady's really creepy because he's like, it's, he's not just talking about him. He's like, sir, we all have some concerns here. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because he's a representative of the management right, right. now. Mm-hmm. And they talk about the management a lot in the book. All right. So now she's asleep and Danny wakes up and is just walking around saying red rum. I'm, pardon me. Tony is walking around right. saying red he's rum. A, well, he's, he sounds like red rum, red rum, red rum. Everyone rah. knows this scene. If you, yeah, yeah, everyone knows this scene. Yes. and he, But I had forgotten that he took her lipstick, which is stored in a way nobody would ever store lipstick. And also he, you never see her wear lipstick. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he writes red rum in lipstick on the door and saying it over and over and over again. And he gets the knife. And so she wakes up while her son is standing inches from her screaming red rum in a crazy voice holding a knife. And so I think what it's showing is that he knew 
knew that Jack was out and trying to. Oh yeah, Tony was like, "Oh shit, the hotel's trying to get Dad to kill us. It's gonna let him Uh out." Yeah, yeah, we gotta wake him up. And so she sees in the mirror Redrum, which is murder spelled backwards. Murder. She hugs him, which I think is a sweet, and gets the knife from him, which is somehow manages not to stab herself with this knife through the movie. Oh man, honestly, at this point, she's actually she does good with the knife. She takes it away from the kid and puts it down. But then when she's running around the hotel with the knife, it's very no, she is like wacky inflatable arm knife. Yes. Yes. And I'm like, oh my God. It's a long knife. And so now we see almost immediately Jack is trying to chop down the door to their hotel area. Well, they're. To their quarters. Yeah. Like the front door of their suite. Mm -hmm. So they go into the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Shelly opens the bathroom window and it won't go up all the way. So she can only get Danny out and he slides down what looks like the most fun snow slide I've ever seen in my life. It really does because the snowbank is so far up that this must, what must be a second floor window. He can just go out, which is convenient, but I also like giant snow drifts. So yeah, it looks great. But she can't fit out the window. Right. And eventually says, I can't get out run away. Exactly. And he goes towards the hedge maze. Yes, he does. And so we hear Jack outside the bathroom and he's just kind of slowly psycho walking up and he's saying little pig, little pig, let me come in. And he starts to chop the door and everyone has seen it. I mean, it's yeah. the mo- one of those iconic scenes in movie history. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And he puts his face in the the hole of the door and he says here's Johnny. And fun fact, that was improvised. And she should have stabbed him in the fucking face she at that point. Have. Yeah. Yeah. And I can understand, like you're, you're afraid and you're not thinking thinking critically oh, you're not yeah. thinking I'm gonna stab in the face because he sticks his hand in there and she does stab his hand well he's trying to unlock the door and she does slash his hand yeah right honestly the only thing that saves her in this moment is Dick Halloran comes up in another like I think they call it a snowcat or something yeah. like that it's a snow snowmobile it's like a brand yeah. of snowmobile yeah thing. so they they he drives up and Jack hears him and that draws him to go outside or at least right. go downstairs and then she's safe-ish. Yes. Right? I'm surprised he didn't finish her off. Well, in the book, he fucks her up in the hallway. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah? It's not an axe in the book. It's a roke mallet, which is like a bigger version of a croquet mallet. Ugh, And Jesus. it's it's brutal, but it just, there were so many. I, does I, she die? No. Oh, okay. She doesn't die. So he does leave, and she is not hurt at all. And this is when Dick Halloran comes in and is like, hello, hello. Right. Just trying to, like, get anyone to acknowledge that he is there now. Here's right. what I don't like about old dick huh? just in general no just him oh the character my, Why my bad you keep talking bad. about elderly people <laughs> you're a real gentrophile <laughs> <laughs> dick knows because of his shine shit's happening in this place yes he did not bring a weapon no i know i know that drove me crazy and he walks too. in like things could be okay like right Hello? hey guys where is everybody i'm right here in case you want to attack me did you guys find my porn yeah. <laughs> right i came back for my stash <laughs> <laughs> and so jack jumps out and chops him right in the chest with the axe and i love how that he shoots this because at the moment of impact we see danny's face yeah which silently is screaming yeah terrible jump scare it's so scary oh wait and danny has at this point run back inside the hotel yes. and is hiding in the kitchen in like a cupboard like a jurassic park yeah, yes jurassic very park. very much so yeah. yeah yeah and so he chops halloran and he dies and it's so sad it is very sad because he exists in this movie to get a snowplow there and that's the only <laughs> purpose for him to be no there. she's right yeah and to explain the shining 
and in the book he lives. Oh, really? Yeah. Does he get? How? He gets chopped because it's not an axe. Oh, so he it's just not gets immediately hit. lethal. I got gotcha. you. He gets hit in the face and oh. it like fucks up his teeth. And the topiary animals have like been attacking him this whole way, and he's like lit them on fire with a zippo. It's really awesome. Oh, cool. He sounds really cool. Yeah. He's amazing in the book because he knows shit's going out because he's got the shine. Exactly. And Kubrick just throws him away in this movie. That's another thing that really bugs me. And I think part of the reason he has to do it is because Jack hasn't actually done anything effectively villainous yet other than just be really emotionally abusive. He hasn't hurt anybody in the movie. And in the book, okay. he has. And so I think I see what you're saying. this is a, a reason, like this is a way to show how dangerous Jack is. And, how yeah. far, and really just how far gone he is. Yeah, yeah. like what Once you kill one person, I mean, like there's, there's no going back. Yeah. Because at this point... If Halloran didn't come and they just all went back to Boulder, this is just a domestic dispute, even though it's totally fucked up and terrible. But there's no proof that he's done anything. That's abusive, true. You know, yeah. Until this moment when he kills Halloran. But anyway, so Halloran's dead and he calls yeah. out to Danny mm-hmm. and Danny opens the cupboard he's in and then runs out of the hotel again. Right. And this is when he goes. He goes to, to the, the hedge maze. The hedge maze. Yeah. We yes. said it earlier, but this is actually when he goes to do that. Right. Yeah. So he's running around and he and Jack is following him. And has hurt his ankle, so he can't go, like, full adult speed. Exactly. Which is why Danny has an actual chance here. Exactly. Yeah. But he is following his footprints in the snow. And at this point, Shelly comes downstairs, too. Mm-hmm. And you know, Shelly's walking around the whole hotel. Yes. Yeah. The hotel is starting to come to life. Yeah. Very she, much so. Yeah. She walks around a corner, and she sees what can only be described as Fozzie fur- Bear and Louis C.K. <laughs> in a hotel room. <laughs> I was going to say Furry Amore, but... Yeah, it I is mean, Furry Amore, but... No, no, it's, it's Fozzie, Fozzie Bear. Bear. The bow tie's there. He wants his big break comedy night. Yep. Louis C.K. sitting on the bed. He's on his knees. Yeah. And they both look very shocked that someone walked in. Yeah. Yeah. Caca, caca. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so she sees him. And wait, then- wait, wait, wait. We can't move on. Is that okay. scene in the book? Yes. What, what the fuck is happening? There's a lot more of this in the book. There's Sorry. a lot more There's furry, a lot more furry sex? sex. There's a lot more. So go she, on. Yes. Oh my gosh. So she walks around a corner and she sees a guy with blood on her face saying, "Oh, it's a great party, isn't well, it?" Well, that's in the movie too. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's in the movie, but in the book, I think that's supposed to be Horace Derwent, who is the person who built the hotel. He's like the owner, and he's there's a lot of backstory because he was like had ties to the mob not, and was because he had. Over the sex, yeah, we scene. want to go back to the animal sex. I'm is that getting in the book? there? Oh, okay, because okay. he's having these wild parties, and he is the person receiving this blowjob, and it's a very oh, like, wow. sim- like minimal, like minimizing or dehumanizing the person giving him this. Well, thing. it was Fozzie Fuzzy Bear. Bear. He's not a human. Literally he's not, not a human. Bear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, okay. So my biggest concern is when you see that Fozzie Bear looking dude. It's There's a, a lot of teeth. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of teeth there, and that made me very concerned. That's because for- he was like. Mm. That heightens the danger factor. Ooh. I'm not into that. I'm out. Listen, I, no, I don't want to, yeah. But she also goes and she sees a bunch of skeletons in the lobby. Well, that's in the bar room, right? It she is, goes yeah, and yeah. sees that party scene, and I think the skeletons are pretty much where the same people were. It's just, you went out to the people, we see skeletons wearing their clothes. This is the one part where I say, this could have been really scary in the 70s, but it looks like a lame haunted house. It doesn't it does. look great now, you're right. It's not in the book at all. Oh, yeah? So what? 
what happened after Kaka Kaka? So now he's chasing Danny through the maze. And so Danny gets to a point, I think he's kind of around the middle of the maze. And he's like, okay, I'm going to stop and then I'm going to backtrack my footprints. Which so is a great move. It really is. Great move. And it looks like his footprints just stop and then he like smushes over right. them and then hides. And Jack, who is all raged out and like hotel drunk. Also. And surely not thinking straight. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, in order to do that, I imagine you'd have to get yourself into a mental state where you're saying things like you're just you're like Johnny. seeing red quote unquote exactly what, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. yelling at him the whole time oh, I'm, yeah. right. you. I'm right behind you and so his plan works and Jack passes him and then Danny runs out of the maze and sees Wendy Wendy who has somehow managed to not gouge her eye out with this knife that she's waving around. honestly she's so lucky she yeah she is man <laughs> and so she picks him up and they hug and have their sweet reunification moment and they get into the, the snowmobile, the snowmobile yeah. that Halloran so kindly delivered to them before meeting his undeserved end right and they snowplow away and jack hears this and this is when i think he is amazing in this movie too where he's just like running around and roaring and it's so animalistic it seems like he's trying to say something but you there's no way you can understand the right. words he's trying to say and something like danny or yeah maybe, yeah and then we smash cut to the morning and he's frozen <laughs> he's really ro- rolling his eyes too yeah it's well his a- eyes are just up Mouth right. open, frost all over him, mm-hmm. dead AF. Frozen, yeah. And then we start hearing the 20s music and we're slow zooming into the ballroom and we see this picture on the wall of this party and there's someone mysterious at the very front of this picture and we keep zooming in on it and we find out it's Jack. Mm-hmm. And, and he's got his hair slicked back and he's wearing all of the goose and fish soiree finery. And the date on the bottom says 4th of July, 1921. And that's the movie. And that's the movie. So I mean, you think that means he's like in the hotel? He's like part of the hotel? Yeah, I now. think it, it means he's part of the hotel the whole That time. doesn't make any sense, though, because that's well before this movie starts. Yeah, well, and the, I think it's the just... The picture's haunted, Todd. Well, I think, yeah, the hotel is absorbed. <laughs> just him. like Back to the Future. Okay, we're going to go back <gasps> to the beginning. The hotel's haunted. What? <laughs> yeah. This no, whole time? What I don't like about it is, and I even said this when we were watching it, like it zooms in on this picture and it feels like Kubrick is like answering a question, but he never asked that question. Yeah. I think it shows that the hotel has absorbed him. Yeah. But then why put a date on the photo to, to place know. it at a time that actually happened that that hotel was actually in service? I think it would have looked better if like Holleran was in it and also sad. No, oh, no. Just like single tear. Oh. Yeah. And what I see in this and that I don't like is that Jack got exactly exactly what he wanted. I don't think he wanted to die. No, I'm, no, I mean, no. I don't think the souls in that hotel are having fun. Well, I don't know. So I think he's going to be internally tormented. I don't know. Did you see what Fozzie Bear was doing? True. Yeah, I did. I, he didn't see, like, did you well, see in, his grimace? In, yeah, in your mind, you're thinking you're Fozzie Bear. You don't have to be Fozzie Bear, baby. <laughs> well, and I think also what it says is this, what you wanted, Jack, is a facade. It's not reality. And yeah. that's why you can't have it by just blaming other people and trying to make everybody make this picture for you. That's not the real world. And so what you want doesn't exist. That is not how the book ends. So how does the book end? At all. And I love the ending of the book so much. So I, you remember I told you he continually goes to dump the pressure off of the boiler. Yeah. So in the book, he is chasing Danny around the halls of the hotel and they don't actually go outside. Hmm. And they've been talking about how you will remember what your father forgot. And so Jack has just been hotel crazy and forgotten that the boiler needs to be dumped. Uh-oh. And so Jack realizes allows Danny to get away 
and then goes and blows up the boiler, blowing up the hotel. So wait, he has a moment of clarity and he kills does. himself? And redemption. Yeah. Yes. And he says, "Go, run away, Danny, and always remember how much I love you. And it makes me cry every time I read it. And that's one reason I love the ending of the book so much better is because there's an arc for Jack. Yeah. You know, he sees that the hotel has taken this weakness that he has and tried to use him. It's almost a circle because he starts yeah. out as a loving father and then ends as a loving father. Exactly. After going through a bunch of other shit. I hear what you're saying and I, and I see why you like it because that's the ending that you wanted for you. The movie has a more realistic picture of how this all ends. I, I don't necessarily these, think so because these even, kind of situations with, with the abusive father and things like that, they don't usually end with redemption. But sometimes they do because those abusive fathers are people too, mm-hmm. you know, and they're human beings and sometimes they can recover, you know? I mean, I saw my dad be abusive to my mom a lot mm-hmm. and then when my brother died, he went into therapy and he changed a lot after yeah. that. So, so, I mean, like that sort of stuff is possible. And what it just I, takes work. It does. And I, I just see hope in Stephen mm-hmm. King's ending. And I don't see any hope in Kubrick's ending. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so I've been talking about how like I connect to this as like the victim of a person like this. But I also connect to this as somebody who struggles with the same thing Jack struggles with. And so when I watch this movie, I see Kubrick saying there's no hope for me. And I'm just going to become a monster until I destroy my family. I think Jack is a human being in the book. And I just think he's like a caricature in the movie. Yeah. Well, and I also want to say, though, I, there is a lot that I really like about this movie. And yeah. the things that I don't like are my interpretation of the story, not necessarily the way that the movie is done. And I understand if you love this movie and you and you might connect with it in a completely different way. And I want to hear about that. I don't want to invalidate your opinion. I'll say that I think the parts of this movie I don't like is because it sort of hits emotional triggers for me that I don't like seeing just yep. because it makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But it is a very well done movie. And I haven't read the book. So like yeah. the fact that it doesn't line up with the book or the fact that Dick Halloran dies or shit like that that I completely understand why you hate mm-hmm. doesn't bother me at all. Right. So I I like it. I like it a lot. Like I think it's done very well. It's executed very well. It's very aesthetically pleasing. There's a lot, a lot to really like here. Yeah. The stuff I don't like is like the shit that reminds me of my dad. And like and, and listen, my dad was a great, great guy. He just had to work through some shit. And honestly, him like owning up to it and going to therapy is like one of the reasons I was super cool going to therapy. And like, Mm. I mean, I actually was going through like a really rough time in my life and my dad literally came to my apartment and like would not leave my apartment until I like committed to going to therapy. So like he became this great advocate for, you know, helping and self self care and stuff. Even though like when I was a little kid, he was not a great guy. Mm. So anyway, I mean like it reminds me of the time when he wasn't a great guy. So I love it for that reason. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, it's, 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 we're really well done and great movie. And I really think we could have used more Fozzie Bear blowjob scene. (laughs) I mean, absolutely. I guess I guess I guess this movie I relate to it more from my experience. Oh fuck. Uh which is like you know, my dad did not get better. <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah, and so, sometimes there isn't redemption. Like, right. Yeah, like I mean I so I watched my mom play a Shelley Duvall kind of role, which was yeah. you know, make excuses and minimize and enable for they were together for like nineteen years. He was pretty emotionally abusive and, yeah. and you know, pre, kind of a rough situation. But yeah. all under the surface and things like that and and, you know, my mom had her place and things like that. So I saw a lot of the arguments and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I was proud of my mom for, you know, 
getting stronger and and making different choices and standing up for us and herself and things of that nature. Uh, different situation, but you know, I it did not get better and they they divorced. So I, I kind of relate. I kind of relate to the movie like that, which is like my experience, which is like you know sometimes it doesn't. There's no redemption. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't get better. Well, which because, for Jack, there really isn't redemption in this right. movie because you have to want to get better. Yes. It can't be other people that make you do it. Now that we're done talking about downer shit. <laughs> For real. Let's talk box office. <laughs> so this movie came out May 23rd, 1980, and its budget was $19 million. How much do you think it made in its release? Uh, uh 20s. Okay. What do you think, Mikey? 30s. Okay. So it actually made $44 million <laughs> yeah. domestically. Wow. So it did, I, I think, pretty did well. Gangbusters back then. Yeah, that's pretty good, right? So it came out the same week that Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back comes out. Uh, what a great or came out. Week to be a movie fan back then. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And it got crushed. Yeah, it actually by was Star not Wars. well like critically received well. It wasn't. In fact, in its opening weekend it only made $622,000. Yeah. And to put that in perspective how The Empire Strikes Back did it made $7.2 million. <laughs> but I'll say this. Uh, it didn't do great in its opening weekend. It did make quite a bit of money in theaters. So it had some staying power and longevity in theaters, which was not super uncommon in the 80s. Well, also, it's as horror, horror movies, movies do still do now. It's, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, Jen, I bet you have a lot of fun facts for us. I do have a lot of fun facts. I'm not going to give every single fun fact that's ever been about this because there are a lot of them. So Danny Lloyd is the actor who plays the kid in this movie, and he was five when they shot this movie and I think for a five year old he does a great I think he job. does a great job. I thought he was yeah. older. That's yeah. crazy. Oh yeah. yeah. He's actually five. They interviewed or auditioned 5,000 boys for this wow. role. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah, and they told him it was a drama, and he didn't actually see it till he was 16 years old. Wow, really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. And this was his only movie. I think he did a couple of other things, but he tried to get roles after this, and it just didn't really go anywhere. So Wow. Yeah, wow. I know. Okay. So we talked about The Room 237 documentary. In the book, The Room is actually 217, and the reason they changed it, I was, I just was mad at Kubrick for this. I was like, why would you change the number? That's stupid. Apparently, the Stanley Hotel that this was based on actually, Asked them to change the room number because there is actually a room 217 in that hotel. Oh. And they didn't want people to be afraid to stay in that room. Oh, uh, okay. Well, that was so, a nice thing they did then. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, give, I'll give them credit for that. There's a cut scene at the end. In the book, there's a little denouement where um, Tony and Halloran are talking. The ending, like a coda. I've never heard of denouement either. So it's like after the climax has happened, this is like the, the wrapping up. Kind oh, of. Yeah. It's like when you're asleep. Okay, like I gotta sneak out. Gotcha. <laughs> oh my god. So there's a scene, and so in the movie they shot a scene where Wendy was in the hospital, and a detective or somebody, and maybe it's Allman is talking to her, and they're saying they'd never found Jack's body, but they cut that out. So um, Shelley Duvall had a really rough time filming this movie. I've heard that because Kubrick was a giant dick to her throughout all of the performance. He intentionally yeah. bullied her and belittled her. She was sick for months. She like she had so much stress that her hair was falling out. Um, Jesus. Yeah, it was terrible. She's talked about having to cry 12 hours a day for nine months and how terrible it was. Oh, my God. Um, she had to do that scene with the bat in 127 times. What? And it actually has the record for the most times a scripted scene was redone. That's in insane. Movie. It is. And he was doing that to try to get a performance out of her. And that's such a long scene. It so he is. had to batter her like a battered wife. Exactly. So he's doing exactly what Jack is doing in mm -hmm. this movie. He's 
he's doing that to his actor. And if you can't get a performance out of your actor while still treating them like a human being, you're not a good director. So yeah, that's so rough. Yeah, of, I feel bad for her. Like I that's really do. Oh, too. and Jack Nicholson, he's on the other side exactly. of that. That sounds horrible. Um, Jack Nicholson did get really frustrated because the script was constantly changing, and apparently, at one point, he just wouldn't even look at him anymore because he knew it was going to change, and he'd just memorize his lines right before they shot the scene. <laughs> it took like five years to make this movie. Really? Really? Yeah, because he's so Kubrick is so meticulous. Like he, he kept he, going back and adding and changing. He always has that problem. He doesn't have a lot of films because he takes years to make them. Exactly. So when they were filming the typewriter scene, I read somewhere, I'm not sure if this is true, that he actually typed out all of those pages because he had this artistic vision of what he wanted. I'm not sure if that's true or not. But I know for international versions that were dubbed in other languages. They did all of those pages in the language of the film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And That's each, awesome. It is. And each language had a different phrase. So one was like a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Um, and another one, I can't remember what they all were, but it was different, like little kind of. It was just catchphrase. Yeah. Catchphrase. Yeah. <laughs> that was the, the Brazilian bird <laughs> translation. <laughs> and my last fun fact. And guys, there are so many fun facts about this, but we've already talked about this movie a lot. So I'll link some more. Yeah. Oh, actually, I have two more. The rumor of who else was considered for Jack in this role was Robert De Niro, Robin Williams and Harrison Ford. Wow. I, I can't see any one of those doing as good a job as Jack did. I know, but could you see anybody doing this no, except for Jack Nicholson? I honestly can't. Speaking of Jack Nicholson, they originally had a fake door for him to chop down, but he was a volunteer firefighter in the Air National Guard. No shit. Yeah. So he knew how to do it. He did, and he tore that fucking fake door up in two seconds, so they had to get a real door for him to chop down. <laughs> I've actually seen the behind-the-scenes video of him, like, psyching himself up for that scene. Oh, yeah. really? And, like, she's hiding on the other side, and, he, and he's psyching himself up. It's pretty oh, wow. I'd love to see that. It's That's on awesome. YouTube, just yeah, like, I'll yeah. have to check that out. All right. And those are my fun facts. Guys. Awesome. Thank you for your fun facts, Jen. Well, you're very welcome. So let's do Scary Scale. Hey, listeners, our Scary Scale is a scale we use to rank how scared we were when we watched this movie. It's not the quality of the film, it's how scared we were tonight when we watched it. Our one example is Ghostbusters. Our 10 example is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. All right, Todd. I'm going to give it a two. All right. There aren't really any jump scares that scare me anymore, uh, but it is a very, very creepy movie, and Kubrick mm-hmm. does an amazing job like building tension and building tension. Mm-hmm. So it is very like heightened, if that makes any sense. Yeah. When I first saw this, it was probably like an eight, mm-hmm. uh, and it stuck with me for days and days and days, and it's very scary. Mikey? I'm going to give it a one. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think Todd's right. I think it's more of like a suspense film than it a is. horror film. Yeah. I, if it was like a suspense score, I'd give yeah. it like a really high score, but it's like a horror score. I'm just going to give it a one. I wasn't super scared, but I've seen it a bunch of times. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, it's good, man. Yeah, I am going to give it a five. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, just there are scenes in this that hit real close to home, like kind of dig up some repressed memories. It's just the themes are very uncomfortable. And I was watching it, and I didn't expect it to bother me as much as it did watching it. But it's the scene with the baseball bat just mm, yeah. just terrifying. Yeah. All right, so that's our scary scale. All right. So this week, you guys made me watch The Shining. What are you guys making me watch next week? Well, Todd, you are in for a treat because next week we are watching one of my favorite slashers. We're watching A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, yeah. yeah. Finally getting into Freddy. I can't believe we haven't done Freddy yet. I know. It's really one of the big slashers that we haven't done. Yeah, and there's so many of them. There are. Watch Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah. the first one for next week. I'm so excited. All right, guys. So we're going to do another five-star review read by our and your very own Mikey. And this one says, the title is, Oh My 
pod. You have to listen, <laughs> which I think is an awesome title. And it says, Mikey, your best country western. Clint Eastwood, Billy Ray Cyrus, John Wayne, accent please. Uh-oh. Boom, right there. Let me get into it. <clears throat> you live Just in the South. someone's on your lawn. I do declare. It does not start with that. Uh, gotta, He's trying to get into I have character. to say that phrase he to get to process. the Southern accent. I do declare. <laughs> If, if y'all are new to horror, then you have found your perfect match in Todd. Oh, hello. A diehard fan with cult favorite taste? Me, Mikey. <laughs> Do you bleed Stephen King and enjoy camp classics and elevated horror alike? Jen has written at least two blogs that will speak to your soul. I do declare. I just want to stop and say I may have that written on my tombstone because I love it so much. Thank you. This group has sent my love of horror to new heights. I love and look forward to Mondays because of them. Aww. That's big. That is I big, know, man. Dude, I Monday hate Mondays. So yeah. <laughs> From the fun facts to the scare scale. That's like from the end of the podcast to the end of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) They're an ad skipper. (laughs) They'll keep you laughing through your fear. Because if Todd hates it, then you're in for a good scare. That's true. Thanks, guys. I'll hear from you soon. What does that Uh mean? That's very scary. (laughs) That is from TKAM21. Thank you so much for that awesome, awesome review. That really made my day. I a little Cajun on that, I guess. I liked it, man. There has been another review. (laughs) And if you guys want to have us read one of your reviews, leave us a five-star review and maybe an accent for Mikey to read it in. definitely an accent. And we'll read it on the podcast, guys. Thank you so much for that awesome review. We appreciate it. All right, guys. We remember the Modern Horrors Podcast Network, so if you're listening to us in their feed, switch over to our feed. You'll get it two days earlier on Monday. Instead of Wednesday, but in their feed, you're going to get the awesome Modern Horrors podcast, the awesome Death Dying and Other Things, and the lovely Final Girls. And if you want to follow us on socials, we are at Horror Virgin or at HorrorVirgin.com. Each of us are on socials individually as M Randolph 24, Jen Ferratu, and Todd J. Awesome is me. Uh, and if you want to check out our Patreon, go to patreon.com slash horror virgin. You heard a lot about that in the beginning on the ads, but just check out the, the levels. Help us get better gear. We'd really appreciate it. And if you can't help support the show, please just continue doing what you're doing, and that's telling your friends, family, and coworkers about the show. And another great option for those who can't help financially support the show but want free free daily content, join the Facebook group. Yeah. It's free. It's daily and it's content and it's not just free daily content it's a really awesome group of people it really is it's yeah. a, they did a gift exchange for I halloween know. just on their own that was awesome it's amazing yeah. secret yeah. santa for halloween excuse yeah. me i apologize secret sam what shouldn't it be secret jack skellington we did hey it. guys we did that's gonna be it from us everybody thank Oof. you for hanging in there with us this yeah was, thank uh, you so much this episode went places yeah, we really appreciate yeah, we might as well call it the whining <laughs> jesus <laughs> hey <laughs> listeners <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, we love you. Yes. We wouldn't be able to share these things about ourselves if we didn't have such a supportive community that listens. And that is very true. We're really grateful for that. Um, and, you know, we want to hear what you think, too. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for joining us tonight for The Shining. I'm Jen. And I'm Mikey. And I'm your horror virgin, Todd, guys. <laughs> have an amazing week. Bye, nerds. Y'all don't try to telepathically talk to me tonight because I'm going to my porn room. That's Mikey time. (laughs) Oh, my God.